itself. They've since received an unreserved apology and an undisclosed sum of compensation. In a statement, the Luton and Dunstable Hospital Trust sought to reassure patients and said lessons had been learned. Hundreds of residents are expected to arrive at Central Bedfordshire Council in the next few hours ahead of an important meeting to decide the location of gypsy and traveller sites. The council needs to find 158 pitches, more than first thought, and has 32 sites which have been deemed suitable. Our political reporter Paul Scoynes has been following the story. The council says it had the wrong figures at the meeting last month and has corrected the details in today's agenda. It means 28 more pitches are needed, but because the council realised it didn't own some of the potential sites, there are three fewer than previously thought. The council maintains there will still be no more than 10 pitches per site. The meeting starts at 10am at the offices in Chicksands. The lap dancing club at the centre of a planning row in the Bedfordshire market town of Amptill is becoming a nightclub. Shaler's is set to relaunch tomorrow night, this time without the poles or the private dances. The founder of one of the most famous sporting events in the world, the Ryder Cup, could be about to be honoured by his hometown of St Albans. The Samuel Ryder Foundation have applied to have a statue of their golfing namesake erected in front of the town hall. But the move's being opposed by some of the area's market traders, among them Peter Groom. Samuel Ryder was a local businessman the same as I am and I think if he knew that he could be closing a business down um, he wouldn't be back in this project himself he would say we'll put it somewhere where it's not going to affect anyone's local business. In sport, the immediate future of the Chelsea manager Rafael Benitez is in doubt this morning. Speaking after his side's 2-0 FA Cup win at Middlesbrough, he accused some fans of having an agenda, said the decision to appoint him as interim manager was a massive mistake and declared that he'd definitely be leaving at the end of the season. The weather, cloudy and mostly dry this morning, but brighter later with a top temperature of 6 degrees Celsius, that's 43 Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash threecounties, BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. For those of you vaguely concerned by the high-class problems and minutiae of my life, yes, I did get the internet yesterday after a fashion. I've just moved house, so it's going to take a long time. I sort of did after a fashion. I was 40 minutes on the phone to them, trying to sort it out. Very young, very nice Irish lad called Richard, I think his name was. Very helpful. I apologise at the end for giving him the full thrust of my fury, They've, the people in the house before had the... You know the socket you plug the phone into and, and the internet? It was in their bedroom, under the bed. Who, why on earth would you need internet in the bedroom? Ah, well, yes, maybe. Speaking of bedrooms and bedroom entertainment, here's a quote from somebody. Yeah, the bedroom is for entertainment. Sometimes that's the telly, sometimes there's something else. No, not the words of David Essex, as that voice would imply. Those are the words of our cheeky reporter, Justin Dealey, yesterday. He has been told, nay, ordered, by Greg Dyke, no less, the head of the BBC, huh, to go without television in his bedroom for a week. It's day one. We'll find out how he's doing in the next hour. Other news coming up in the show. The son of a World War II pilot is auctioning his medals to keep him in his care home near Chorleywood. I'll be speaking to a financial consultant about why more families may be forced to do the same. And it's a story we've been covering pretty much since day one about the lap dancing club in Ampthill. Well, it only opened three months ago. Local residents didn't want it there. Well, they've got a partial victory. The lap dancers are going. But the club is staying. Do you think it's going to be better or worse for the town? Lots of ways to get in touch. 
Facebook, of course, always an excellent way. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Or the phone lines are free at the moment, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Also, also, furious debate in the office yesterday. It was, everyone joined in. Even the people that The Breakfast Show don't like were joining in. It was, I'm joking, everybody at BBC Three Counties Radio uh, loves everybody else, apart from one person. Uh, But we were all talking about the, you know, if if you bank online, you know you get sent this, it's like a little, I've got mine in front of me. It's like a little calculator, except it's not a calculator. You slip in your PIN card, your, your card, and you type in your PIN number, and it gives you the number to log on to the bank. Is that magic? We, we literally, some of the, the, the best reporters in Luton yesterday were discussing this and could not fathom out how on earth that card reader works. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. We'll be discussing that later. Oh, yeah. BBC Three Counties Radio first for news and other bits of tat. Now, here's a a fascinating and and tragic story. The family of a World War II pilot are having to auction his medals to keep him in his care home near Chorleywood. Wing Commander Branson Burbridge is a fantastic name, isn't it? Wing Commander Branson Burbridge was one of the best airmen shooting down 21 German aircraft. Now aged 92 and suffering from Alzheimer's, he's cared for in a privately run care home near where his daughter lives. Malcolm McLean is a financial consultant with Amersham-based pension and finance advisors Barnet Waddingham. Good morning, Malcolm. Good morning, Ian. So th- th- this gentleman or his family are being forced to sell his medals to keep him in a care home. It- does that happen very often? Well, we've got a we've got sort of good news and bad news uh, at the moment in this area generally, because of better health care and better diets and so on. People are living much longer lives these days, and that means that many more of us are probably going to end up in a residential care home at some stage in our lives. If you look at the the, the actual statistics, uh, the biggest growth in longevity is in the the older pensioners, people who are in their eighties and nineties. Are, are continuing to live on much longer than the, than their uh, predecessors. So we do have a, a massive social and financial problem looming in actually paying for all this. And the government has, in fact, uh, grasped a nettle recently and has decided that they're going to do something about it and going to cap the amount that people have to pay. But we're not going to do that till 2017, and, and, and then in a limited way. So uh, at the moment, uh, we, we are faced with the, the sort of situation that we're seeing here. Now, what I want to say very definitely and very clearly is that whatever the rules are or may be, there has to be some cases that transcend those rules and deserve special treatment. And I think this case is this. Um, if this gentleman did so much, and, and he clearly did, for the country uh, to preserve our freedoms, our rights, and all the rest of it, then he's got to be assisted by somebody in this. And I mean, one way to do it might be if he really has to sell his medals is for the government perhaps to buy them off him and then bequeath them back to him immediately or or some service organisation to do that. He should not be required to to give up these medals. The country owes him a debt and really we have to accept that. He would be treated as an exceptional case because, as I say, 
generally speaking, there are going to be many, many more people struggling to pay these care bills in the future. It's an interesting take you've got there, Malcolm. I, I, I think very few people will disagree that this man is, in fact, uh, he's a genuine hero, a proper hero. Yes, uh, indeed. And that we should be treating him with, with a little bit more respect. Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, as I said, there are some there are some people that you you look you look at their situation and say, well, whatever the rules, they they deserve help. And and this this gentleman is must be such a such a such a case. He has, as you say, done so much for the country. We would not be here now, perhaps living the sort of lives we have and living longer lives if it were not for him and and, and his kind. And we we do owe them a debt, debt of gratitude. And as I say, whatever the rules, I think it will be an absolute disgrace if he had to sell the medals to pay for this care. He deserves help and should be given it in some way. But it doesn't mean to say that everybody can expect the taxpayer, because it will be the taxpayer that will have to bail them out in, in the final analysis. And as I say, we, we do have a, a massive problem looming as we go forward. Uh, good news that people are living longer, bad news from the financial and social care point of view. Malcolm, very quickly, because I, I know I, my, my mum's in the care home, so I kind of have a, a vague grasp of this. I, I, I know that people have to sell their houses and have to use their savings. I wasn't aware that they could be forced to sell their assets like these medals. Is, is that the rule at the moment? Well, well, they're not forced to do, and they're not forced to sell their homes neither. Uh, what, what they have to do in many cases is to raise money against the home right. by through equity release or, 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 or some other situation some sort of mortgage arrangement uh, and in the final analysis it, it is often possible to come to some arrangement whereby uh, w- when the person does indeed pass on that the, uh, the the costs of the care can be claimed back against the estate so there, there are ways around it I don't think anybody wants people to have to sell their homes Malcolm we have to end it there thank you so much Malcolm McLean Barnett Waddingham what do you think about this guy Wing Commander Branson Burbridge he's 92 Let's be honest, he's not going to be around for that much longer. And he's a war hero. Should he be treated differently? Should he have his his care paid for or the government buy his medals and then give them back to him? Or should he be treated the same as your nan and my mum and all those other people? 08459 455 555. Well, we know where we're going, but we don't know.
What a song! Got some good music as well coming up. Travel news now, Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Clockwise on the M25, the entry slip road is closed due to recovery work and an overturned vehicle. Shed load of household goods as well in the area. That's around Junction 23 at the A1M. Uh, everything else not actually looking too bad out there this morning. A little bit busy on the North Orbital Road, but nothing that's going to hold you up for too long. And the rest of the motorways are looking good this morning and the trains are also running to time. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. <laughs> Morning, it's 6.16. It's Thursday the 28th of February. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of a World War II pilot say they'll have to auction his medals to cover the cost of his Chorleywood care home. The Luton and Dunstable Hospital has expressed deep regret over a breakdown in communication which led to the fatal, bl- uh, fatal feeding of a nil-by-mouth patient. In sport, the immediate future of the Chelsea manager Rafael Benitez is in doubt this morning after he rounded on the club's board and supporters after the 2-0 win at Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Cloudy, mostly dry this morning, brighter later with a top temperature of 6 degrees. Coming up, we'll be talking about the lap dancing club in Ampthill. Opened only three months ago, residents didn't want it there. Well, have they got a partial victory? We'll find out more before 6.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Red Nose Day is back. So get ready to raise some cash. This year for Comic Relief, I'm going to be raising money by sitting in a bath of tuna for hours. By baking for a cake shell. I'm going to tell jokes non-stop for six hours. This year for Comic Relief, I'm going to dye my hair with red spots. How will you raise money for Red Nose Day? Join the fundraisers and do something funny for money. For your free fundraising kit, search online for Red Nose Day. Indulge me for a second, dear listener. The Monkeys, my favourite, favourite group of all time. Can you believe it was a year ago today we lost Davy Jones? I say a year ago today, it was a leap year, it was the 29th. So confusion reigns. Do we commemorate it today? Do we commemorate it tomorrow? I have the answer. We commemorate it both. Oh, I could hide neath the wings of the bluebird as she sings The six o'clock alarm would never ring But it rings and I rise Wipe the sleep out of my eyes My shaven razor's cold and it stings night on his steed Now you know how happy I can be Oh, and our good time starts and ends Without dollar one to spend But how much, baby, do we Dream believer and I 
Man Alive. Fantastic song. And I can't believe a year. So much has happened in that year. It's incredible. Now, it's a story that we've been covering here at BBC Three Counties, and I know it's uh, got you excited in all different kinds of ways. The Lap Dancing Club in Ampthill is to relaunch as a club, hmm, but with no lap dancers. Shaler's opened three months ago, and campaigners against the club collected a petition with around 2,500 signatures. They said it was out of place in the Georgian market town. Well, Matthew Deer was against the Sex Entertainment Club. Morning, Matthew. Good morning, Ian. How do you view this, then? Did you see this as a partial victory? Is it, is it worse? Is it better? Well, I think that's exactly right. It's a partial victory. It's a victory for those people who didn't want it because they didn't want a sex venue, uh, and I was one of those. However, there were lots of people who opposed it because they were concerned about um, antisocial behaviour, what might happen with a late uh, establishment that was serving alcohol and so on and so forth. And I think, uh, if anything, they will be more concerned by reports that this is going to be turned into a normal nightclub. Oh, hang on a second. Are you saying that, that you might be more worried that instead of that you're worried that it's going to be a normal nightclub and not a place with you know naked ladies bouncing around? Well, as I say, it, it depends on people's reasons for objecting to it. My personal objection was on the basis that it was a sex venue, and I'm somewhat more relaxed about a normal nightclub. Mm. However, there were m- many people who were more concerned about antisocial behaviour, and I think uh, the, the, the word that I'm hearing is that they're actually more worried about it being a nightclub. Um, we had a late-night venue in Ampton until very recently, which was closed down uh, on the basis of the disturbance that it was causing, or it was held to cause by the council. Um, and uh, this is um, probably being seen as a direct replacement. So uh, I think people are now worried again. Why do you think it stopped being a lap dancing club, Matthew? I think, frankly, it was it was unsuccessful for whatever reason. Whether there wasn't a market for it in Ampthill, which was something that we doubted all along, um, I don't know. But it was it was um, lack of custom, I think. Uh, I've not been there, but isn't it quite... It's, it's quite tiny inside, I think. It's not, it's not massive. Is it going to be appropriate for the, the, a, a nightclub? Well, it'll be, it, it would be big enough to be a small nightclub, right. um, and maybe, uh, maybe that's enough to assuage people's fears. It will be quite a small venue, and if it's properly run, of course, then we, uh, we shouldn't be uh, too concerned about it. But um, I think at the moment we just don't know what's going to happen. Shaler's, uh, John Shaler's Facebook uh, page and Twitter pages say it's, quote, the new best place to be in Ampthill. Uh, what is the feeling? What's the feeling been like the last three months, Matthew, as this has been going on? Well, um, I, I think people have been keeping an eagle eye out for the uh, venue and whether it's complying with all of its conditions, particularly those, those who opposed it. Uh, and I think um, the resolve to oppose it and to try to stop the uh, sex licence being renewed was very strong indeed. So at least we don't have that battle to fight and that problem to face. Did you notice any antisocial behaviour or, or anything like that while it was a, a lap dancing club? To be perfectly honest, those people who said that the clients of lap dancing clubs um, don't tend to antisocial behaviour and tend to actually be somewhat more um, reserved um, w- were vindicated somewhat. Although we did um, hear reports of people avoiding that part of the town centre at night because they didn't want to be associated with the club. Uh, Matthew, listen, thank you very much for that. We're going to follow this closely and and, and see what happens. We did ask John Shaler, who runs the uh, club, to come on the show, but we've not been able to speak to him. John, as always, I know you're listening, you you have an open invitation. You have my hotline to the studio. We would love to get your point of view on this, because I'm aware that this, whenever we do this story, and we have done it a few times, it it can come across as being slightly one-sided. And I don't want it to be at all. I I, I want to be impartial on this. So, John Shaler, Lord John Shaler, nonetheless, if you're listening, do give us a call. You'll be given a fair crack of the whip. 08459 455 555. And what do you think? Would Would you be more concerned about having a nightclub or a lap dancing club near you?
08459 four double five five double five. It's been puzzling me, and it's been. It, it, this shows you how sad my life is. This has been puzzling me for for months, and I thought, well, it's it's only me that that is confused and concerned by this. But I tentatively brought it up in the office yesterday, and everybody, everybody joined in. Facebook.com forward slash BBC Three CR. Okay, go there. You'll see a picture of me holding one of these little card readers. It's one of these little things, right? It looks like a little calculator. If you bank online, you'll have one of these. Little plastic um, calculator with a tiny screen and a slot where you, you insert your debit card or your credit card or, or whatever. If I want to log on to my bank account, which I don't really want to do these days as it's looking woefully thin, I slip in my card, type in my PIN. It gives me an eight-digit number. I type that in online. I access my bank account. How on earth does that work? This machine isn't connected to the internet, is it? I don't think so. It's not on Wi-Fi, so it's not sending a message to the bank. And I've had this with different banks. NatWest, Barclays, Lloyd's, I think, have it. How does it work? If if you've got the internet, go and have a look. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. If you've got one of these, and you're as puzzled as I am, could you give me a call? I want to hear your theories. There were some great theories yesterday. Algorithms, 
the Wi-Fi, all this kind of stuff. 08459 455 555. How on earth does this ridiculous little card reader guarantee me safe passage to my ever-failing bank account? 08459 455 555. Let's get the travel news now. Here's Sophie Tyler. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. No major changes out there at the moment. Clockwise on the M25, the entry slip road is closed following a shed load of household goods, recovery work and an earlier overturned lorry. Now it's happened at Junction 23 at the A1M. Looks like it will be causing some problems for a little while yet. The barriers have been damaged and may need to be repaired there. And the A405 at North Orbital Road also still looking slow at the M25 Junction 21A roundabout. Everything else though really not looking too bad at all this morning. Trains still moving nicely as well. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, thank you very much. 08459 455 555 is the phone number to call me about card readers. And to be honest, if you just fancy a chat, I'm feeling a little lonely today. 6.30, or approaching it, let's get the latest news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, the headlines. The family of a World War II pilot say they'll have to auction his medals to cover the cost of his Chollywood care home. The Luton and Dunstable hospitals expressed deep regret over a breakdown in communication which led to the fatal feeding of a nil-by-mouth patient. And hundreds of residents are expected to arrive at Central Bedfordshire Council in the next few hours ahead of an important meeting to decide the location of gypsy and traveller sites. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. The immediate future of the Chelsea manager, Rafael Benitez, is in doubt this morning after he rounded on the club's board and supporters after the 2-0 win at Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. The Spaniard confirmed he'll be leaving at the end of the season and said the decision to appoint him interim manager was a massive mistake. I have experience as a manager and I will do my best until the last day. Uh, they put me the title of interim manager. It's a massive mistake. I am the manager and I will manage the team and until the end, every single minute. If they want to carry on wasting time with these things because they have an agenda, they have to take responsibility if something is wrong. What they have to do is to support the team and then everyone has to stick together and we can achieve what we want to achieve. So they have to realise that they are not making any favour to the rest of the fans and also to the players. Luton Town have confirmed that the highly rated teenage goalkeeper Tyler Redding has joined Norwich on a two-year scholarship agreement for an undisclosed fee. Hatter's head of youth operations, Matt Stannard, says they'd never stand in the way of a player who's offered the opportunity to move on to a bigger club. In cricket, a New Zealand eleven closed day two of the tour match in Queenstown on 224 for six, trailing England's first innings total by 202 runs. Earlier, Ian Bell made 158 in England's total of 426. Hamish Rutherford made 90 for the New, Le- New Zealand eleven as he looks to play his way into the team for the first Test match, which starts on Tuesday in Dunedin. In rugby, the Ireland prop Kean Healy successfully appealed his suspension for stamping on England's Dan Cole during the Six Nations match in Dublin earlier this month. Healy's now free to play in Ireland's next match against France a week on Saturday. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at seven. Hang on a second. He did what? He stamped on him. Everyone always says, oh, yeah, football, it's, it's so rough. Rugby is what you should... They're real gentlemen in rugby. That's not very gentlemanly behaviour. It's certainly not very nice. Supposing, supposing Paul Scoynes... I mean, Paul Scoynes is coming in later. Supposing Paul Scoynes is in the studio, yeah. the political reporter, and I stamped on him. Mm-hmm. Hold that thought. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. When 
I say it out loud, it's not actually such a bad idea. Paul Scoynes is coming in later on. I'm going to try stamping on him. Coming up in the next 30 minutes, as well as stamping on a political reporter, would a statue of the golfer Samuel Ryder be welcome outside the town hall in St Albans? Well, the market traders don't think so. Our reporter, Tony Fisher, has been to find out why. And just where will the new gypsy and traveller pitches go in Bedfordshire? Hundreds of people are expected to voice their objections at council offices. Apparently coaches have been booked to take these people along. Such is the fury. We'll be finding out more about that later on in the show now this is a story that I, i'm a big fan of statues i know i sound like this hip young thing and i'm kind of with it daddy but i love i love statues and i i don't think there are enough modern statues i like stat. i think we should put statues up it seems an old-fashioned thing to do well there is debate raging about a statue that could go up in st albans would a statue of one of St Albans' most famous residents be welcome outside the town hall. The market traders say no. Plans have been submitted to put up a statue of the golfer and creator of the Ryder Cup, Samuel Ryder. The idea has come from the uh, Samuel Ryder Foundation. They aim to raise awareness of the man's achievements, which includes the bi- biennial golfing contest between Europe and America. Well, our reporter, Tony Fisher, went to St Albans on Market Day yesterday to find out why not everyone thinks it's such a good idea. Standing in the middle of St Albans, busy morning, busy, busy afternoon here, uh, market's on, and uh, we're standing in the spot where the Samuel Ryder statue is going to be. Dave Lawrence, you've organised a petition against this Samuel Ryder statue. We're standing in the precise spot where it's going to be. Um, I don't see a problem. What's the problem? Well, the problem is it takes half of the way of this stall here because it's 14 foot by 12 feet. And uh, obviously this is a Wednesday. On a Saturday, there's another two stalls here generally uh, where the statue is standing. And uh, it affects basically about six traders in total because you've got different traders on a Wednesday, different traders on a Saturday. So it's not just affecting two stalls, it's it's affecting more than that. And then obviously you've got the the butcher's stall here, which may be a problem once they've erected it, you know, because it goes right out to that distance as well. But it's only seven foot tall. Is it really going to take up that much of space? Height-wise, no, it's just the the, uh, the ground area it's covering. It's taking away about four to six feet of his stall there, which they can't move the stalls along because you've obviously got the trees and you've got the bollards there that are in the way. And you've got to bear in mind as well, it may be a Wednesday, but Saturday is a lot busier, and you've got all the vehicles that's going to come on at half past four to to unload and load you know load their vans from the stalls. They can still get past there. There's enough room. No, you see it when it's a market day. Very busy, very busy indeed. And also, this is one of the ways they usually come in and out because, you know, obviously when you've got so many stalls and so many vehicles, there's always going to be a problem that somebody's going to reverse into the statue as well, which could be, you know not hazardous to the statue, more so to the people that might be sitting there. But at least here, know. it's very visible, Dave. And it's visible. he was one of the res- St Albans' yeah. most famous residents. Yeah, Himself, you know, yeah. you, you're away, created the Ryder Cup, yeah, yeah. famous biennial match between America and uh, and Europe. He, he needs to be recognised, doesn't he? Well, the problem In a is... prominent spot. The problem is, is on a market day, he's not so visible. He's not so recognisable. Because you've got the height of the stalls that's going to block block out part of the statue you've got this 
area here where all the veggies stacked up. It's gone down a little bit now, as you can see, but on a Saturday that is full of veg and boxes. And uh, there's quite a few other locations, that, you know, in and around the town centre where this statue could go and be highly visible. So we're not saying we don't want a statue, we just feel it's in the wrong location, to be fair. Well, where, where would you put it? I mean, this is the best place for it, isn't it? Just down from the town hall um, in the middle of the high street. Well, you've got across the road, which is still on the high street. You've got uh, going towards the civic centre. There's quite a big open fair through, you know, fairway there where it could go. There's been suggestions made of the roundabout at the top of the town so everybody sees it as they come in. Uh, but, you know, this is the location they've actually picked, so and we're not happy about it. <laughs> and uh, you've got a, a 200 signature petition? 232 in total. Uh, mostly market traders and farmers markets and uh, also what does uh, statues attract they attract pigeons so when you've got a Sunday market where there's a lot of open food stalls you've got pigeons and you know they make a mess and you've got the wind blowing blows it all over the place so you could actually contaminate the food that's in the area which is you know I don't think they've done a proper risk assessment either of it you know because obviously they're going to put seating around this statue which partly to protect the statue, but it's not going to protect the people that's going to be sitting around the yeah. statue. But it would be a nice yeah. feature, wouldn't it, Dave? Lovely feature. Middle, middle of St Albans. Lovely feature. Uh, people place. will look at it, they'll realise why he was a famous resident, yeah. and it'll attract more tourists, and you might get more trade. It's possible we get more trade, but if it was over the road, we'd get more trade probably as well. That's so. our reporter, Tony Fisher, there, displaying the, uh, the the impartiality that the BBC is so famous for. You might get some more trade. What do you think? Statue of Samuel Ryder in St Albans? Good idea or bad idea? Tony was obviously, let's, let's, let's not beat around the bush, as I don't think he did, uh, was pro it. Uh, that market trader was dead against it because the veg gets stacked up high. What do you think? Good idea or bad idea? I'm a big fan of statues, and I don't think that we, we erect enough statues these days. I don't necessarily have any strong feelings about Samuel Ryder, uh, and I'd need to go and ha- have a look at exactly where it's being talked about, but I think it sounds like a, a good idea. I don't know. What do you think? 08459 And did Justin Dealey manage to go the night without television in his bedroom? We'll find out in a little bit after this... I love this song. Matthew and Son, Cat Stevens. Up at eight, you can't be late For Matthew and Son, he won't wait Watch them run down the platform one And the 8.30 train to Matthew and Son
working all day, all day, all day. He's got people who've been working for 50 years. No one asks for more money, cause nobody cares. Even though they're pretty low and they're rents in arrears. Right, so here's something. Sorry, Cat Stevens, I've got to fade you out. I like Cat Stevens. Uh, 08459 455 555. Have a listen to this, okay? I just had a message on our internal computer system from a member of our team, Kelly Betts. Kelly, you had a bit of an adventure last night. I don't want to go into the gory details, but but tell us what you just told me. So, there I was at a gig, having a little dance. Was it a good gig? It was a good gig. Jake Bug, Shepherd's Empire, introducing band. Jake Mm. Bug is fantastic. I love that guy. Bob Dylan-ish, isn't he? Yes, yes. As you know. Yes. Um, and I found a wallet on the floor, little brown purse, yeah. little bow on it. And I thought there's a wallet, and I opened it up. Yeah. Ten pound in it. Yeah. Bank card. Nothing else. Right. So we were looking at the name, and we were shouting out the surname, Miss Cullen, Mr. Cullen. So you were shouting out in the venue. We were shouting out. Yeah. Good yeah. for you. Well done. I mean, it loud gig. You know, annoyed my mates heard me shout it who were next to me, but still. Yeah. And I was saying I'm going to hand this in at the bar, and my friends were like, well, "Take, take the money out first. Yeah. I said, you can't take the money out. How much money was in £10 there? £10 right. and a bank card. Remember yeah. when I said that? Yeah. yeah. Um, £10 and a bank card. And they were like, take the money out. If somebody found yours, they would take the money out and give it to, and, and probably not even hand it in. Yeah. And I thought, no, you can't do that. You have to hand it in. And I thought, we were thinking there's no train tickets, yeah. no ID. There's no way of me giving the money back to someone else. So I, th- I kept the money in there with the bank card, handed it in to the bar staff. So I've just found that, bear in mind, I had to push my way through the crowd to get to the bar and then hand it in. So I just found this. And the bar person was like, oh, uh, yeah, great, thanks. You know that bar person probably kept the £10 themselves. Yeah. Do, looking back on it, do you think that maybe you should have kept that, that purse yourself? No, I felt too guilty, but my friends were like, come on, that's, that's a round of drinks. That's, that's Mr or Mrs Cullen have just bought you a round of drinks. So you're, losing the- you're if, if, by the way, if Mr or Mrs Cullen is listening to the show this morning, 08459 455 555, we would love to hear from you if, you if you found your money. But so your friends, the young, you, you're a young person, the, mm. the, the, the youth of today, the teenagers, would have kept that money and, and not handed it in? Yep. Kept the money and uh, put the wallet back on the floor. And probably wouldn't have got abuse from the bar person. Do you know what? I've, I've done that before. I found a, a wallet full of cash. Mm. And I, it wasn't full of cash. There's maybe 20 quid in it. Uh, this was a long time ago. And I was thinking, oh, the thing is, it was in a public space and everyone saw me bend down and pick it up. Mm. So I couldn't just put it in my... So I, it was at a train station. And I went in and handed it into the train station because people were watching me. And the guy kind of looked as if to say... Uh, yeah, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. He would have put that money in his pocket. Exactly. And you almost want, when you hand it in, for that person to go, oh, brilliant, that's really kind of you. Well done. Kelly Betts, thank you very much for coming down. Go back and, uh, what is it you do? Don't know, really. Okay, thank you very much. What would you have done, dear listener? 08459, thank you, Kelly. 08459, 455, 555. I guess it's kind of a moral dilemma. 
type thing. There's no guessing about it. It is a moral dilemma type thing. What would you have done? There's only a tenner in it. Okay, and a bank card. Would you have kept the tenner? It's only a tenner, isn't it? Whenever I lose my wallet, and it has happened on occasion, I expect to get it back with my driving licence and my bank cards. I expect the cash to be gone. I really do. And fair, fair play to Kelly, she did the right thing, I think. Handed it. What do you think? Would you have handed it in? Would you have kept the tenner? 08459 455555 645 Here's the travel news now with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Clockwise on the M25, it is still queuing on the entry slip road and it's also closed following a shed load of household goods. Recovery work still taking place following the earlier overturned lorry. This all happened around junction 23 at the A1M. The recovery of the lorries is uh, set to continue and the barriers have been damaged and may need to be repaired as well. There is diversion in place anti-clockwise via junction 22. Everything else though actually not looking too bad out there this morning. The North Orbital Road is looking an awful lot better at the moment and the rest of the motor ways are coping well at the moment no problems on the trains either sophie tyler bbc three counties radio sophie you go to gigs don't you you're a teenager if you found a purse with a tenner in what would you have done um oh i think if it was a tenner i no i'd give it in leave it there's there's, all there is is a name but there's no phone number or anything so there's nothing that anyone can do with it. There's nothing that anyone could. I mean, there's a bank card, but there's a bank card and there's there's a tenner. Sophie, go on. What would you do? What was what was your answer? No, don't copy me. It's a, <laughs> Sophie. It's, it's a couple of drinks for you and your mates. Mm, I'd, you I'd keep just it, wouldn't you? Really hope that no one saw me. <gasps> Sophie Tyler, you work for the BBC. Shame on you. <laughs> It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's only a tenner. It's a couple of drinks for you and your mates. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 6.46. These are the headlines on Thursday the 28th of February. The family of a World War II pilot say they'll have to auction his medals to cover the cost of his Chorleywood care home. The Luton and Dunstable Hospital has expressed deep regret over communication errors which led to a nil-by-mouth patient dying as the result of being fed. In sport, Luton Town have confirmed that highly rated teenage goalkeeper Tyler Redding has joined Norwich on a two-year scholarship agreement for an undisclosed fee. Coming up, just where will the new Gypsy and Traveller pitches go in Bedfordshire? Hundreds of people are expected to voice their objections at the council's offices. We'll hear more from our political correspondent Paul Scoynes before seven o'clock. Fingers crossed if he can make it through the traffic. But now, let's get the latest weather with Elizabeth Rossini. Beds, Hearts and Bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, a very good morning to you. Well, it's been quite a frosty, chilly old start to the day, actually. A little bit of cold windscreen scraping um, scraping going on, particularly towards northern um, northern areas. But um, those temperatures will rise quite nicely today. It's more of the same, really. Um, so no big changes in the weather. Certainly a nice, bright morning for most of us. Variable cloud amounts. Um, but we should see a brighter afternoon. Certainly some good spells of sunshine into the afternoon just about everywhere across the three counties, so it's all good news. We're keeping that cold northeasterly breeze, though. So if you're standing in more exposed spots, 
and I dare say it will feel quite chilly at times but where we get the sunshine just about everywhere then um, we'll see temperatures up to 8 or 9 degrees Celsius later on for Luton for St Albans Ellsbury and Bletchley as well that's uh, 48 in Fahrenheit so not bad temperature at all as we get through into this evening though we'll start to see um, some more low clouds spreading through and it's going to be a very cloudy night a few outbreaks of drizzle uh, again risk of that just about everywhere particularly over the tops of the hills of course temperatures down to around 4 or 5 degrees Celsius not quite as cold tonight as it was last night and then for tomorrow that cloud really very difficult to shift a very cloudy start to the day quite misty and grey as well dampness in the air but we should see a bit of brightness into the afternoon perhaps temperatures not getting quite as high tomorrow only up to around seven degrees celsius the weekend is looking rather gray and cloudy but at least it is going to be staying dry that's the forecast thanks elizabeth Tackling your consumer problems on BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't worry about that loan now. The whole amount has just been taken off. You don't owe a penny. Gosh, I can't believe this. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. This has been six years of hell. Fighting for your rights. You've done more in two weeks than I've done in six years. I can't thank you enough. You've fought it and you've won it. Well, you won it for me. Thank you so much, Jonathan. If you have a consumer problem, we can do the same for you. Call the team now. 08459. Four double five five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio. So Kelly Betts, member of the team, is at a gig. She finds a purse, not a wallet. Wallets don't have bows on. It's a purse. There's a bank card um, with a name, and there's a ten pound note. No other details. She called out the name of the person on the card. Nothing. What would you have done? It's only uh, it's only a tenner. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Would you have handed it all in? Would you have bought yourself a couple of drinks? And also, going off on a tangent, those bank card readers, how on earth do they work? Big questions today, very big questions. She believed in fairy tales and princes. He believed the voices coming from the stereo. He believed in rock and roll. She left the past and those lily white fences And headed out to Hollywood in search of her soul But she had to pay the toll Yes, she did They were bound to find each other He needed proof, she needed a brother That's when stars collide When there's space for what you want And your heart is open wide Wait a minute He gave up women for the stripes of the road And learned the meaning of grace That's when his cup overflowed And she said He said my faith keeps me from willing But you know that I'm able And if there's some room I'd like to sit at your table She said it's it's tight I think I can fit you in This kind of love don't come from a prayer Ain't talking rebound, born of despair Yellow sun rising on their bodies in bed Two people in love with nothing but the road ahead Oh yeah Oh, oh. All right. mm. 
tales and princes He believed in jazz, rhythm and blues And this thing called soul He believed in rock and roll Him, she wanted to see her name appear on the big screen He just wanted to hear her scream his name Can you scream my name? Do you know what I mean? So you're out and about. You look down. There's a there's a purse on the floor. You go oh, have a little look in there. There's a card with a name on it, bank card, and a ten pound note. That's it. Nothing else. You shout out, Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith. No one. No one responds. What do you do? It's only a tenner. If you lose a purse or a wallet with a few quid in, I'd like to get the wallet back. I always I always expect the money to be gone. Well, Toby's from Biggleswade. Right? Toby, this happened to you, did it? Yeah, yeah good morning, Ian. Good morning, um, Toby. First of, all, first of all, in answer to your question, I would always hand the, um, the wallet or purse back in, but it's always, all due to the fact that about 10 years ago, um, I was commuting from Twickenham to Luton and stopped at the old Thameslink station in, at King's Cross. Yeah. Um, I used a telephone um, box there and there was a guy waiting behind me and I, I only had a pound coin so I took it out of my wallet, left it on top of the, the telephone, put the pound in, finished my phone call, had about 50p left so I told the guy behind he's more than welcome to to have that credit. Got, jumped on the a train quickly, my, my wallet was had about £150 of cash in it, Ouch. credit cards, bank cards, driving licence, everything. Got to um, Luton, and by the time I was commuting back to Twickenham that evening, I'd realised that I'd left the wallet there, um, and I'd just given up. I just thought, well, it's unfortunately, I just I thought it's King's Cross. It's not going to be there. Yeah. Um, got back, um, spoke to the um, one of the station attendants, and the whole lot, everything had been handed in, and I'm wow. pretty sure that the guy behind me had handed it in because it was a, a one good deed deserves another. So um, I think it had not been for the extra credit in my. My phone, I wouldn't have got that wallet back. See, that, and, and the, all the money was in there? Everything. See, that's incredible. I, I do, mm. I, I expect the, the wallet to be handed in, but I do expect the cash to be taken. And maybe that's, that's sad on my part, that that's what I expect from people. I think, but in fairness, as, as a younger person, maybe when I was about 17, 18, I would have probably have done that. Mm. Um, but as somebody slightly older, I, and the, the moment you get that sinking feeling that your whole life is at King's Cross Station and you're not yeah. there... Um, it then restores your faith in humankind when well, people do that, well, and therefore... That's good news, Toby, I'm glad. For... Very quickly, going off on a tangent, do you have one of these bank card readers to access your bank account online? I, I do, I have it in my pocket, I'm going to do it when I get to work. How does it work, Toby? I have no idea. <laughs> it's one of the great mysteries, we're going to pursue this, I'm going to find out by nine o'clock, I guarantee. Toby from Biggleswade, thank you very much indeed. 160-odd quid in his wallet, and it was still in there when he got it back. Wonderful. 08459 four double five five double five. What, what, what would you do? I think, I, yes, of course I would hand the wallet in. I'm, a, I'm a, a, a gentleman approaching 40 years old. Of course I would hand the wallet in. But you hand it into the bar staff, you kind of think, yeah, they're going to take that. That, that. that bloke behind the bar is going to have that. And he's laughing at me. Look at some, what some mug handed in. 08459 oh, four double five five double five. Here's something. A quote from yesterday's show. Yeah, girl, the bedroom is for entertainment. He didn't say, yeah, girl. I put that bit in, sorry. <laughs> this is my impression that Justin Dealey always starts with, yeah, girl. 
<laughs> the bedroom is for entertainment. Sometimes that's telly, sometimes that's something else. Those are the words of our uh, reporter, Mr Lover Lover Man, Justin Dealey, yesterday. Well, a television in the bedroom is one of the top ten things couples argue about in bed. Myself and a relationship counsellor challenged television-obsessed Justin to go the whole week without TV in his bedroom. Well, yesterday was day one. Let's hear what happened. So here comes my big challenge. I'm laying in bed. It's all very, very comfortable. My uh, partner's not with me tonight. She's, uh, she's out of work. But uh, here I am. So you've advised me to read. So what I'm going to do, I'm now going to read the Daily Mail Weekend magazine, which gives me all the details of what's on TV. And on TV tonight is one of my favourite tacky TV programmes. The only way is Essex. Lots of orange people in that programme, but great fun. And I'm desperate desperate to turn this TV on. I'm going to leave it there for a second. What I'm going to do, you suggested that I read. So I'm going to pick up my Talk of the Town, Luton Town programme from the Luton Town versus Mansfield game. So I'm going to read this for a bit and see how I get on without the TV. Well, the time's now 10.41. I'm now thoroughly bored, um, thoroughly depressed about reading the states of, of my football team, Luton Town. I'm sorry, I give in. It's going to have to be Towie. The only way is Essex. What? I gave up after 11 minutes. Here we go. What? Joe, should we go to the bar? Oh, <laughs> Unbelievable. He lasted 11 minutes. And for part of that 11 minutes, he was reading about television. And then he read. He couldn't read a book. <laughs> he probably has, I, I would assume, Dealey has no books in his house. There's a phone in for another day. How many books have you got in your house? Uh, I, I, yeah, there is. It's a good one. I imagine Justin has zero books. That is so disappointing. 11 minutes. I can't believe that. I genuinely didn't know what was going to happen there. I'd not heard that report. That's outrageous. We'll, be having, we'll, we'll speak to Justin Dealey later on. He's, he's out and about as is his want, and we shall uh, speak to him a little later in the show. I shall be telling him off. If you want to have a word with Justin, 08459 455 555. Here's the travel. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Clockwise on the M25, it's still looking like we're having problems at the moment. The actually slip road is still closed following an earlier shed load. Recovery work and an overturn lorry at Junction 23 at the A1M. Now the barriers have been damaged and may need to be repaired, so there is diversion in place. Anti-clockwise via Junction 22. Now anti-clockwise on the M25, it is still looking slow between 21A at St Albans and 20 at Kings Langley. And heading south on the Barnet Bypass, also slow this morning. Where you'd expect between Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass. Everything else not looking too bad actually this morning. Trains are moving nicely on the departure boards. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. We're asking the big questions this morning. How on earth do those electronic bank card readers work? The ones that allow you to access the your bank account online and you find a purse. There's only a tenner in it. Bank card. Do you hand it in? Or do you spend the money yourself? Here's the news with Catherine. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
Good morning, it's seven o'clock. The headlines, war hero forced to sell medals, hospital apologises for nil by mouth death and change of views for Amptill Strip Club. BBC Three Counties Radio. There are calls for the government to intervene in the case of a World War II pilot forced to sell his medals to pay for his Chorleywood care home. Wing Commander Branson Burbridge was honoured for shooting down 21 German aircraft during the war. At 92, he has Alzheimer's disease and will need to raise around £120,000 to cover the cost of care for the next six years. Malcolm McLean is a financial consultant from Barnet Waddingham in Amersham. He thinks Mr Burbridge deserves special treatment. He's got to be assisted by somebody in this and I mean one way to do it might be if he really has to sell his medals is for the government perhaps to buy them off him and then bequeath them back to him immediately or, or some service organisation to do that. He should not be required to, to give up these medals. The country owes him a debt and really we have to accept that. The Luton and Dunstable hospitals expressed deep regret over communication errors which led to a nil-by-mouth patient dying as a result of being fed. Lawyers acting for the family say a do-not-resuscitate order led to 68-year-old John Burr being left to choke and struggle for breath for three hours before he died. The hospital has offered Mr Burr's family an unreserved apology and an undisclosed sum of compensation. The owner of the Amptill Lap Dancing Club, which sparked furious protests from residents, is set to cause more controversy with his decision to shed its poles and private dancers. Shaler's, owned by the self-styled Lord John Shaler, will relaunch as a nightclub tomorrow, just three months after opening, in defiance of local objectors like Matthew Deere. My personal objection was on the basis that it was a sex venue. However, there were m- many people who were more concerned about antisocial behaviour, and I think uh, the, the, the word that I'm hearing is that they're actually more worried about it being a nightclub. We had a late-night venue in Ampton until very recently which was closed down uh, on the basis of the disturbance where it was held to cause by the council and uh, this is probably being seen as a direct replacement. Hundreds of people are due at the offices of Central Bedfordshire Council in the next few hours ahead of a meeting to decide the location of gypsy and traveller sites. The council needs to find 158 pitches, that's more than first thought, and has 32 sites which have been deemed suitable. More on this coming up next with Ian Lee. The founder of one of the most famous sporting events in the world, the Ryder Cup, could be about to be honoured by his hometown of St Albans. The Samuel Ryder Foundation have applied to have a statue of their golfing namesake erected in front of the town hall, but the move's being opposed by some of the area's market traders, who say it will interfere with business. In sport, Luton have confirmed that highly rated teenage goalkeeper Tyler Reddings joined Norwich on a two-year scholarship agreement for an undisclosed fee. Hatter's head of youth operations, Matt Stannard, said they'd be never stand in the way of a player who's offered the opportunity to move on to a bigger club. The weather, cloudy and mostly dry this morning, but brighter later with a top temperature of 6 degrees Celsius, that's 43 degrees Fahrenheit. There's more news and sports online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. We've rattled through the first hour. Lots going on. Statues, bank card readers and moral dilemmas. Here's some of the stuff coming up in the next hour. Keen to get your opinions on on all of it, really. See if any of this takes your fancy. The son of a pilot is auctioning his medals to keep him in his care home near Chorley Wood. He was one of the best airmen during World War II. Well, should the government step in to help? His son will be joining me on the show next. Just where should the new gypsy and traveller pitches go in Bedfordshire? Hundreds of people are expected to voice their objections at the council offices. Well, reporter Paul Scoynes will be joining me to explain why there is so much opposition. 
And would a statue of the golfer Samuel Ryder be welcome outside the town hall in St Albans? Market traders don't think so. We'll hear why in the next hour. Also, how the hell do those flipping bank card readers work? You can have you send all of these uh, in lots of different ways. You can go to facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. You could send us a text if you wanted, 81333. Start your text 3CR, put your name on it, please. Or, and the best way to give us uh, to get in touch is to give us a call, 08459 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of a World War II pilot are having to auction his medals to keep him in his care home near Chorleywood. Wing Commander Branson Burbridge, and that's a fantastic name and title, isn't it? Wing Commander Branson Burbridge was one of the best airmen shooting down 21 German aircraft. This guy's a hero in the true sense of the word. He's now aged 92 and suffering from Alzheimer's disease. He's cared for in a privately run care home near where his daughter lives. Well, earlier on, I spoke to Malcolm McLean, a financial consultant with Amersham-based pension and finance advisors Barnet Waddingham. He thinks the government should step in to help. Whatever the rules are or may be, there has to be some cases that transcend those rules and deserve special treatment. And I think this case is this. Um, if this gentleman did so much... And and he clearly did, for the country uh, to preserve our freedoms, our rights, and all the rest of it, then he's got to be assisted by somebody in this. And, I mean, one way to do it might be, if he really has to sell his medals, is for the government perhaps to buy them off him and then bequeath them back to him immediately, or or some service organisation to do that. He should not be required to, to give up these medals. The country owes him a debt, and really we have to accept that. He would be treated as an exceptional case because as I say, generally speaking, there are going to be many, many more people struggling to pay these care bills in the future. Well, Paul Burbridge is Bransom's son and joins me now. Morning, Paul. Good morning. Paul, explain why you're having to sell these medals. Well, um, uh, the the original decision to uh, um, put my father in in the care home where he is, which uh, is a wonderful care home, uh, fantastically uh, loving atmosphere in that home. Uh, Obviously that care comes at a cost, a human cost and a financial cost. Um, And because when we um, had to move my father and my mother, as it happened a few years ago from their home in Oxford, we were looking for a place where they could be together. And I think that's often the thing that is, uh, you know, is not uh, easy for people to provide at that point where um, parents need full-time nursing care. They, they often get split up if they're both still, um, you know, alive. Uh, and there are very few places where you can, um, they can be together. So uh, we found this place where, which is near, geographically near where my sister lives, uh, where my father could be cared for full-time and my mother could be in sheltered accommodation, which was actually attached to the building. Uh, so that was the perfect solution for us. So although, you know, we could have considered other cheaper options, mm. if you like, um, we decided this for him was the absolute best place and it comes at a cost and we've just got to the point where um, we as a family need to um, supplement his pension and all that kind of thing with um, additional funds which will come in this case from selling some historical artefacts. What medals has he got, Paul? 
He has a DSO, Distinguished Service Order with Bar, which is, means you, you get it twice, um, and the Distinguished Flying Cross with Bar, and uh, an American USA Distinguished Flying Cross. And how much are you hoping to raise by selling these medals? Well, I think that's, uh, you know, we, we, um, we don't know, really. Uh, it, in one sense, it depends, because it's a, it's a private auction, it depends on what, uh, what the interest is on the day. But the experts who valued these things um, put, have put a sort of value on them, of, uh, because it's not just the medals, it comes with his uh, beautifully kept logbook with all the sort of stories of the sorties, uh, that he flew in it, uh, various other sort of artefacts and bits of artwork that uh, are from that time, because he was an artist as well. Um, so all that, they value at about £100,000 or maybe a bit more. He sounds like a remarkable man, Paul. T- tell us a bit about your dad. Well, um, uh, this period of his life, which is remarkable, um, uh, is, of course... Only a sort of short uh, four-year, four-four-year period in his life as a young man, uh, and it doesn't actually define him. And he spent uh, uh, the rest of his life working um, as a Christian minister, if you like, a lay pastor uh, within church situations, and particularly within schools, uh, state schools, running Christian groups in state schools in this country and later working with students internationally um but uh, he's uh, a very modest self-effacing person wonderful sense of humor um uh, just a gentle uh, and uh, a wonderful kind of spirit and, and uh, all this sort of violence and he was uh, you know he started the war as a conscientious objector so he wrestled with that issue of whether to, to join up and, and take part in the war um, in that way. Um, but he did, because of the, the serious nature of the, the threat and the horror of the, the Nazi threat on this country. But uh, he obviously, after the war, wanted to distance himself uh, very quickly uh, from all of that. When your family realised or dis- made the decision to sell he- these medals and these artefacts, how, how tough was that? How difficult was it? Well, it, it uh, <clears throat> of course, is a, a, a difficult decision um, uh, because, you know, because he's suffering from Alzheimer's and you can't fully discuss all these uh, details with him. I think we're, we, we think, my sister and I think that uh, we're doing <clears throat> what we think he would want, um, having a pretty good idea of, uh, you know, his attitudes on things. But, yes, of course it's hard because... Um, uh, you know, these are these are things which obviously are valued um, by all kinds of people, and they represent uh, a remarkable sort of period of of bravery and commitment. Um, and at the same time, they are historical artifacts. As I was saying, um, we are not selling uh, the valour and the gallantry for which they are, were awarded. We're not selling the story. Uh, because that will stay with my father uh, forever, of course, and stay with the family forever. But um, what is hopefully raising money to benefit him while he's still alive uh, are the things, the actual sort of physical things, um, which which he has in his possession. Paul, Paul, how is your dad? Is is he well enough to be aware of what's going on, or is he is he past that now? He's past that now. Right, right. Yeah. 
do you think that your dad's a hero let's be honest you know and, and, and do you think maybe the government should step in and, and make a special case of your father um well in, I, i've thought about this and um actually i don't i think the answer is no i don't i don't think um that he my father would um want to be made a special case um, I don't think anybody owes him a particular kind of debt that is <clears throat> any more than all the kinds of people who gave, in many ways, much more than he did, uh, although he was extremely skilled um, and he did uh, an exceptional job during the war. There were others, and he, you know, he risked his life many times, of course, but there were others who gave their lives, and he didn't have to do that. He survived, and maybe one of the reasons why he uh, tops the the lists of highest scoring night fighter pilots is because he did survive rather than because he was himself killed and it's very difficult when you you think of all the sacrifices that people made to say well this person um, because he was very good at what he was doing should be made a special case um, uh, you know, I think everyone who uh, needs care as an old person in this country should be taken care of. The government should take care of everybody in that sense and make it possible uh, for everybody to end their lives in, in comfort and security and with quality care and dignity. Well, your story's been in uh, a lot of the national papers the last couple of days. I, I, I've been told that there have been offers to help from, from the public because they've read about you. Is that, is that right? Yes, we've had a few uh, very kind um, <clears throat> emails and, and uh, responses from people uh, who, uh, you know, w would like to do what they can. But um, and we're very grateful for those thoughts and, and suggestions. Uh, but at the same time, um, rather than start some sort of uh, fundraising campaign for my father's care, uh, I think we don't want that because we think, well, as you know, we, in, in our family way, we need to be responsible for caring for our father, just as other people should be responsible for caring for their loved ones. And if they're going to give money to my father's care, I'd prefer that they gave it to Help for Heroes or the British Legion or other people that maybe need it more. Paul, listen, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and speaking so openly and honestly, and I wish you the best of luck with the sale and, and you know, the best of luck with, with you and your father. Thank you so much. Thank you. There's Paul Burbridge there, who's uh, Brant's Wing Commander Bransom Burbridge's son. What a fascinating story. What a nice bloke he was. And he makes a lot of sense, doesn't he? Doesn't he talk honestly and openly about that? Doesn't think he sh his dad should be made a special case? Appreciates the fact that he's been in the papers and a few people have emailed and, and written and said, oh, well, listen, we'll raise a few, we'll help. And doesn't think it's their responsibility. It's the family's responsibility. Well, what do you think? Should the government step in and help? 08459 455 555. 7.15. Let's get the travel news now with Sophie Tyler. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
clockwise on the M25, the entry slip road is closed following an earlier accident. Recovery work is taking place for after the overturn lorry. Now, it's happening around junction 23 at the EA1M. Going to be causing problems for a little while there. The barriers are damaged and may need to be repaired. We do have a diversion in place, though, via the uh, junction 22 of the anti-clockwise carriageway. Now, anti-clockwise on the M25 are also slow between 21A at St Albans and 20 at Kings Langley. And so again between 17 at Maple Cross and 16 at the M40. The Barnet Bypass is busy as well, heading south between Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass. Everything else, though, not looking too bad at the moment. Trains are still running to time. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. 7.16, Thursday the 28th of February. This is Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. There are calls for the government to intervene in the case of a World War II pilot forced to sell his medals to pay for his Chorleywood care home. The Luton and Dunstable Hospital has expressed deep regret over communication errors which which a nil-by-mouth patient dying as a result of being fed. In sport, Rafael Benitez has confirmed he'll be leaving Chelsea at the end of the season and has criticised the club's board and the fans following the 2-0 win at Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Cloudy and mostly dry this morning. Brighter later with a top temperature of 6 degrees. Coming up, just where will the new Gypsy and Traveller pitches go in Bedfordshire? Hundreds of people are expected to voice their objections at the council's offices. We'll hear more with our political correspondent, Paul Scoynes, before 7.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday from three, Roberto Peroni with the best local news stories. There's a sporting story emerging. Paul Buckle has left Luton Town Football Club by mutual consent. The owners of the Centre MK have withdrawn a part of an application regarding the Primark development. Local talking points. The Hertfordshire Police and Crime Commissioner, Mr David Lloyd, has a plan to get sponsorship for police cars. The best local travel. There's been another day of disruption on the Thameslink line today. We were allowed evacuating something train and we had to go back to Radcliffe and now we're waiting for the bus. Roberto Peroni, every weekday from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. We're asking the big questions this morning. One of the big questions is, and this is really bugging me, okay, if I want to log on to my bank account online, I have a little card reader, I insert my debit card, I don't have a credit card, I cut that up years ago, I type in my PIN number, it gives me an eight-digit number that allows me to log on to the bank online. How does it work? Magic? I don't know. Simon on Facebook claims to know. Easy. The reader is preloaded with thousands of numbers that only relate to your card. Then he's put a question mark. So when you input the number on your computer, it knows it relates to your, car- your card. Question mark again. Which means you're guessing. Which means, I don't think that's the answer. That can't be the answer. There's got to be some technical boffin out there that can tell you how to do it. Um, uh, Marina says, I have a nationwide card reader. I assume it works the same way as when I put it into an ATM. Well, no, it doesn't work the same way as when you put it into an ATM. Of course it doesn't. It's a ridiculous suggestion, Marina. She goes on to say about the... Sorry to sound so angry. I've just... It really has got me here. Uh, on the found wallet, she uh, says, uh, the young lady is to be congratulated in her honesty. That's Kelly Betts she's referring to. Found, yeah, you say that. She found a wallet with £10 and a bank card in. She toyed with the idea of spending the money on drinks before handing in the wallet. Marina says, it restores my faith in the young of today. <laughs> if you met her, she wouldn't. She would have felt guilty forever. Had she done as her friends had wanted to do forever, she would have felt guilty for about two minutes until she got that that hooch inside her gullet, and then she would have felt a nice, warm, beery buzz. 
I found a sum of money some time ago and gave it into a police station. Six weeks later, it had not been claimed, so it was returned to me. I donated half to the Police Benevolent Fund and gave the rest to my grandchildren. Oh, Marina's a grandmother, I was shouting. That's an idea. If you find a wallet with money, hand it into the police. Because no one would go to the police to look for a lost wallet. I would never think of doing that. Excuse me, is that the police? Yeah, have you found a wallet? What? Has someone handed in a wallet with the police? We're out catching criminals and speeding offences. We're not looking for wallets. That's an excellent idea. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now, residents in uh, central beds say it's D-Day in the saga over where the council will cite its gypsy and traveller pitches. Around 158 pitches are needed. 32 sites have been identified and we'll know later where those will be. Travellers say that's not enough. Hundreds of residents are expected to attend to voice their objections. Well, political reporter Paul Scoynes has been following the story closely. Paul, what's going to happen today? Well, Ian, they've got the meeting of the Sustainable Communities Overview and Scrutiny Committee. Yes, it is as exciting wow, as that that's sounds. a catchy title. It is, um, which is effectively a backbench committee of the council, and uh, they're going to make the recommendations to the council as to where these pitches should go. We've been... This is a long-running saga. In some ways, it's been running since around 2000. 2006, when uh, the uh, first assessment of where, or the latest, uh, most up-to-date, I suppose, assessment was going to be, um, and then when the uh, government abandoned the regional agencies who were telling councils where to put them in 2010, uh, councils had to make their own minds up, and uh, this is... Th- the long culmination, if you like, of, of, a, of, a, of a study of, of the council thinking about where they're going to put, working out how many pitches they need, and also, you know, thinking of the suggestions of where the sites are going to be. And today, that committee is going to make those recommendations. The, the, the sighting of, or the placing of, of traveller and gypsy sites is always controversial. This seems to have been even more heated and more controversial. Why is that? Well, there's quite a lot. I mean, 158 is more than we thought. In fact, it's more than I told you last time mm. because the council got the figures uh, wrong, it would seem, wow. and they didn't have as many as they thought. They also didn't realise that they didn't own some of the sites that they thought they did. Excuse me? So uh, so they were, they were saying, we're going to build a site on that field over there. Well, then someone went, well, actually, you don't own that. That's well, mine. Yes, that was that. I mean, it was, they said, we might put a site there. Right. And then they found out, oh, we can't put a site that we don't own it. Wow, um, schoolboy error. So there are f- a fewer sites available than they actually had working with. So that means there's going to be more. Mm. There's going to be more gypsy sites, effectively, because they still say they're only going to have ten pitches per site. They want to basically keep it just to, to small family groups, which is what the travellers want. Mm. And you know, ultimately, it works for a better site if you do have that. The council have to provide these sites, don't they? they, they that, do. That's going to happen. They do. I mean, that, what a lot of people uh, don't perhaps fully appreciate is that the council has an obligation to do it and if they don't do it then they get effectively told by government where they're going to put them mm. or it makes it far more difficult for councils to to evict illegal sites so if they have a, a good provision of, of of legal sites which are council run and they can they collect council tax from them people pay rates and you know electricity bills and all mm. that sort of stuff um then it makes it sort of better for the council in the long run i suppose so these residents who are upset by these plans, th- there's not much they can do, is there? Well, they can they can certainly uh, still take part. There will be a, a consultation following these um, uh, these decisions today. And and when we say decision, it's more a recommendation because it will ultimately be the full council, which rubber stamp it, but the cabinet 
that Central Beverage Council have to take the official decision, the executive decision, first of all, if you like, and that will be next month. So there's a meeting today, isn't there? Mm. And I, I'm hearing stories of, of coaches being hired for, for the protesters True. to go down and, and complain. Are the pro- protesters, are they allowed into the meeting and can they have a say today? Well, there will be a lot of people. As I think there's some, <coughs> as of yesterday afternoon when I spoke to the council, there's 33 people who are uh, allowed to speak or right. have been, who've requested to speak. Now, they get three minutes each. So you do the math. Uh, it's um, it's going to take some time to uh, to get through that, probably a couple of hours. Now, the councillor who I spoke to uh, a couple of days ago said that he expected this probably to go on as long as four o'clock. It starts at ten, so that's six hours of council meeting. You'll we'll, be at this meal we'll meeting. Be, we'll, we'll be there all the way through it. What's your Twitter um, tag? Well, I'm Paul Scoynes on Twitter, but I'll, I'll tweet from uh, the three counties accounts. At well. BBC Three CR, it's yes. always worth following your your tweets from uh, the council because you give the facts. You also give what you don't get a lot in, in these kind of. You give the human element of of you know it's all getting very excited now. People are starting to get angry. People are leaving. Well, there's going to be 180 people allowed in the chamber. And I've, I'm hearing upwards of 500 people potentially turning up. They've got the police coming in. Wow. Definitely worth following up. BBC 3CR. Very quickly, the Gypsies and the Travellers, what's their view on this? Are they welcoming this? Well, they've told you on this programme before that they don't think that, uh, that anywhere near as uh, a number of, uh, that number of pitches is going to be enough. They say they need more. So they might be pleased that uh, 158 is the, is the latest figure. Mm. Uh, and that's a figure that was done by an independent assessment. So uh, but they've said that, that ultimately that they've never really had the opportunity to have places. It's long overdue. Central Beds is in some ways taking you know, the, the, the bigger decision because they're, they're looking further into their, the future. They're looking to 2031. A lot of the other councils around here, Ian, are looking to only 2020, so they're right. only looking a few years ahead. They're at some point going to have to mm. make these decisions too. And, uh, you know, in some ways, central beds are making the, the decision before others. OK, listen, just going off on a slight tangent, you are our um, official council meeting correspondent. We were talking yesterday uh, about this planned hotel complex and restaurants and cinema um, by a rowing club in Bedford. You were at a meeting for that last night, weren't you? Well, they had the full council meeting in Bedford last night, which I went to. And uh, most of the public are allowed to make some questions or to, to ask some questions at the start of the meeting. And uh, two of them did. Um, I don't think they got a particularly satisfactory response, if you like, because right. the mayor was saying, we can't really say anything because it, it's a live planning application. So I think they went away a little bit frustrated, and some of the other councillors were tweeting last night saying exactly the same thing. We got an email sent around to us saying, well, we had a very frustrated evening. So we will still have to wait until the actual official planning mm. meeting until they have that full okay. debate. Paul, lovely to see you, and th- lovely cup of coffee as well. Thanks, Thank you. no problem. There we go, Paul Scoynes, our political reporter. Do follow at BBC 3CR, because it, it genuinely... Oh, council meeting going on for six hours, that's going to be really dull. Genuinely, his tweets are excellent, because you're, you're, you, you might get pictures, you'll get, the, you'll get the facts, you'll get the human interest side of it as well. Um, and it, it genuinely is, uh, is a cracking read. Now, the lap dancing club in Ampthill is to relaunch as a club with no lap dancers. Shaler's opened just three months ago and campaigners against the club collected a petition with around two and a half thousand signatures. They said it was out of place in the Georgian market town. Well, our lap dancing correspondent Justin Dealey has been down in Ampthill this morning asking people about whether they think a nightclub will be better or worse for the town. Well, David, you live about 200 yards away from this lap dancing club, which is being turned into a nightclub tomorrow. You're not happy about either because you're saying the noise is just too much to cope with. Yeah, yes, it's... uh... People coming up here, they've had a few beers, you know, frilly merry, hollering, shouting. I've got to get up in the morning and go to work. You know, it's just too much. You know, once you're awake, you're awake and you're just listening, you know, for the next person to come up there. You think, you know, 
what they're going to do, are they going to smash my windows? Because I've lived up here 40 odd years and I've had my windows smashed several times. Yeah. You know, we've, well, we can't we've blame that on that no, club. No, You're no, talking about no, other parts, no, but, but, I'm, but I'm in general, it's just going over the years, mm. you know. People in a late night drinking and that, they just don't know how to behave. Well, some people are saying that it's a victory for local people because they didn't want the lap dancing club, but, but you're probably more concerned now with it being turned into a nightclub yeah. with the noise aspect. Oh, yeah, it's the same old, same old, you know. And the, and the councillors, you know, they ought to come and live in Church Street. You know, it's just too much, you know. Well, Brian, you, like many people, happy about this news? The lap dancing club will be yes. no more? Yeah, definitely. Can you tell us why? Well, it's in the wrong area to start off with. But now it's going to be a, a nightclub. Does yeah, that concern you as well? How long before we don't know, do you? So do you think the nightclub will fail as well? Knowing him, yeah. Now, sir, from the very beginning, you were right. You said this lap dancing club wouldn't work here. Correct, yeah, I said it wouldn't. Not enough clientele, not enough big enough area. So I travel, from, well, I'll tell you where I am. Keith the Fishman from Grimsby. I travel from Grimsby every day. Uh, Grimsby, Cleethorpes, Cleethorpes, Seaside Town... And even we haven't got one there, so I knew it would fail straight away. Well, Simon, as somebody who lives here in Amptill, uh, it's going from a lap dancing club into a nightclub. Would that be better or worse for you? Uh, definitely worse, because there's already been trouble and other instances of young, underage drinking and fighting, and you know, we don't need another nightclub opening up in Amptill, continuing that process. I mean, just how concerned are you about this? I'm very concerned. I've got two teenage girls, and you know, I don't want them being dragged into that sort of problems. But really? do you think people will go to this? Because they said the lap dancing club wouldn't work. Now there's going to be a nightclub here. Do you think the nightclub will work in Amsterdam? Will people go there? Well, because there's another one shutting down, they will continue just going over there and the problems will just continue going on. Would you only having a nightclub instead of a lap dancing club, would that be better or worse, do you think? I would say much the same. It's just Amptil does not need a nightclub or a lap dancing club in the middle of the town. Okay, take lap dancing clubs out of the equation. Why doesn't Amtill need a nightclub? Because it's not the sort of town for a nightclub. We've, we can have nice pubs, nice restaurants, but we don't need a nightclub. Are you concerned I'm, about this? Yes, yes. I think it will fail. It's our reporter, Justin uh, Dealey, talking to the people in Amtill. Well, we tried to contact the club's owner, John Shaler, but we haven't been able to speak to him. John, if you're listening, give us a call. Put your side of the argument across. 08459 455 555. Phew, what a busy 15 minutes. Let's have a breather and listen to the travel with Sophie, shall we? Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Clockwise on the M25, the entry slip road is still closed following the earlier shed load of household goods, recovery work and an earlier overturn lorry as well at Junction 23 at the A1M. Now anti-clockwise, it is looking busy at the moment where you'd expect between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Also again between 21 at St Albans and 20 at Kings Langley and very slow as well between uh, 17 at Maple Cross and 16 at the M40. Everything else not actually looking too bad, usual delays on the bar at Bypass heading south between Sterling Corner and Mill Hill Circus. If you spot anything, do be sure to let us know. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. Here's the news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines. There are calls for the government to intervene in the case of a World War II pilot forced to sell his medals to pay for his care home in Chorley Wood. The Luton and Dunstable hospitals expressed deep regret over communication errors which led to an ill-by-mouth patient dying as the result of being fed. And the owner of the Amptill lap dancing club, which sparked furious local protests, is set to cause more controversy with his decision to relaunch as a nightclub. Beds, 
Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. The Chelsea manager Rafa Benitez says the decision to only appoint him interim manager was, quote, a massive mistake. The Spaniard's future's in huge doubt this morning after he rounded on the club's board and supporters after the 2-0 win at Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. Benitez also confirmed he'll certainly be leaving the club in the summer. I have experience as a manager and I will do my best until the last day. Uh, they put me the title of interim manager. It's a massive mistake. I am the manager and I will manage the team and until the end, every single minute. If they want to carry on wasting time with these things because they have an agenda, they have to take responsibility if something is wrong. What they have to do is to support the team and then everyone has to stick together and we can achieve what we want to achieve. So they have to realise that they are not making any favour to the rest of the fans and also to the players. UEFA have rejected protests by Schalke over Didier Drogba's eligibility for the Champions League for Galatasaray. Schalke claimed the former Chelsea forward had not been registered in time to qualify for the knockout stages of the competition. Lazio have been ordered by UEFA to play their next two European home matches behind closed doors. They were found guilty of racist chanting for the fourth time this season. Back home, Luton have confirmed that highly rated teenage goalkeeper Tyler Reddings joined Norwich on a two-year scholarship agreement for an undisclosed fee. Hatter's head of youth operations, Matt Stanner, says they'd never stand in the way of a player who's offered an opportunity to move on to a bigger club. And England's cricketers took a couple of late wickets to reduce a New Zealand 11 to 224 for six after day two of the warm-up match in Queenstown. Earlier, England scored 426 with Ian Bell making 158. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at eight o'clock. You'd have taken the tenner from the wallet, wouldn't you? I wouldn't. Sorry? No, I wouldn't. Really? No. You'd have handed it in? I would have handed it in. I once, I remember years ago, I found a guy's wallet and it had all everything in it his whole life was in it and there was about 150 quid right and it had a phone number in it so i phoned up and said i've, I've got your wallet oh that's fantastic oh that is brilliant fantastic i said the money there's still money in oh that's brilliant where do you live i'll pop round. and he, he, he came round. he took the wallet he gave me a pound i'd have given it back to him it's just me. rude, isn't it? Gave, well, he was, it was. There's 150 quid in there. He went, look, I've got something for you. I'm thinking, I'm going to get a tenner. I'm going to get 20 quid. He gave me a pound. Yeah, better not to give anything. Thank you very much indeed. This is Ian Lee a on pound. BBC Three Counties Radio. Seriously, you get 150 quid back in your wallet. You give them a pound. For, you, give, me, give me a tenner. What's, what's, what's the good reward? What's the, 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 the right reward for something like that? Lots coming up in the next half an hour, including would a statue of the golfer Samuel Ryder be welcome outside the town hall in St Albans? Would you, at first glance, you think, well, yeah, that's a lovely thing to do. But the market traders don't agree. Our reporter, Tony Fisher, has been to find out why. And hundreds of residents are expected to gather outside the council offices in Bedfordshire this morning. The police are going to be there as well. They're unhappy, the residents, not the police, about plans for new travellers' sites. I'll be speaking to the secretary of the Gypsy Council to see what he makes of it. The reason we're talking about this wallet is a member of our team, Kelly Betts, found a purse. It was a purse because it had a bow on it. Um, at a gig, there was £10 and there was a bank card with a name on it. She shouted out the name of the person, no one turned up. Her friends are all giggling, as is the want of teenage girls, going, go on, keep the money, go and buy some drinks with it. Go on, we'll get a little bit of hooch. And Kelly did the right thing. She hand, Well, she did a thing. She handed it into the bar staff, who kind of looked at her as if to say, ah? Uh? And um, then you kind of think, well, did she do the right thing? It was only a tenner. Diane from Milton Keynes says, with regards to finding a wallet with money, I would hand it in with the cash. You have to think of how you would like to be treated and treat people the same. Also, you have to live with yourself because if you keep it, you've stolen it. You can phone the bank if there is a card in the wallet and they would contact the customer. Have a good day.
Diane's a nice person. The thing is, by the time, if you find out the, the, the bank, say it's Barclays. It's all right, Barclays, I've got Mr Jones's bank card here. The odds are Mr Jones would have cancelled that bank card already. As soon as you find your bank card's gone, you cancel it. So the, the bank card is useless almost immediately. £10 note? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. The other question of the day. I know, I know. BBC Three Counties, the first for news. It, again, it's to do with banks and cards and, and and money and things. These little electronic bank card readers, pin sentry, mine is called. I put in my bank card. I type in my pin number. It gives me an eight-digit number that then allows me to access my bank account online. How on earth does that work? How does that work? Drake says on Facebook, you can see a picture of it, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Drake says, it will be related to date and time somehow. Not quite sure exactly how, though. I could just be making it up. Well, thanks, Drake. That's got us literally nowhere. Dawn says, each machine is programmed with numbers so it can only relate to your account. The bank knows the next number your transaction should generate. So even if you skip a couple, it still knows the numbers in the pattern. But, But the other machines... For other people's bank accounts would have numbers in it as well. Jim the Nerd in Milton Keynes has texted, it works using an encryption key that creates a code based on your bank details and current date or time. At the date or time, your card details and unique encryption key is known to the bank. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That makes no sense. Because I bet if I were to generate a number now at 736... And type in that number tomorrow morning, uh, quarter past nine, it would still work. So the date and time thing is irrelevant. 08459 four double five five double five. It's these things that keep me awake at night. And God damn it, I'm going to keep you awake at night as well. Now, plans have been submitted to put up a statue in the hometown of one of St Albans' most famous residents, uh, the golfer and creator of the Ryder Cup, Samuel Ryder. The idea has come from the Samuel Ryder Foundation, whose aim is to raise awareness of the man's achievements, which includes the biennial golfing... You you try saying biennial. Oh, it turns out it's quite easy. The biennial golfing contest between Europe and America. However, some traders in the city, they're not too happy about the proposed sighting of the statue, which would be in the middle of their market in front of the town hall. Our reporter, Tony Fisher, spoke to Peter Groom, who has a stall right next to the proposed site of the statue. Peter, you run the fruit and veg stall here right by where the statue's going to be is yes. that right yep um so have you got concerns about it yeah because i think they're going to uh, move my stall um and no one said where they're going to move it to exactly um and we had a big troubles with the roadworks when they'd done the town center before um and it had a big effect on trade and it could mean closing down so what just because you move people won't know where well, you are posi- and well it's just positions everything in this it's like a shop like marks and spencers if they're not in the middle of the town with their you know it's just position the whole everything's about position and your stall is pretty much in the middle of the of the high street here yeah uh, good location so i can understand why you don't want to move but if they move you just sort of two or three stalls down there's some empty ones down there if they move you down there would that be a problem no it's not a, not a massive problem i mean the only problem is you're loading up with the with the lay by because we're used to lifts and now on the lorries um, and it's just it's just awkward if we're further down the lay-by because then we've got to have room and got to walk out in the road and walk around. Um, we'll be stopping traffic. And, but, it, I mean, it's not a massive problem if they move us two or three stalls down. Um, but if they're talking about the other end of the market somewhere or... Yeah. then This is the council you're talking yeah. about who run the market. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's... it's it, 
just got to really see what happens. I mean, I know all I know is sort of uh, Samuel Ryder was a local biz- businessman, the same as I am, and I think if he knew that he could be closing a business down, um, he wouldn't be back in this project himself. He would say, well, put it somewhere where it's not going to affect anyone's local business. But equally, he was a very famous resident. He created the oh, yeah. Ryder Cup. No, no, you know, I'm, I'm all for the one statue. Of, one, of, one of the biggest sporting events in the, in the, in the, in yeah. the calendar every two years. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he needs to be in a prominent place, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's other places in the town that it could be. Uh, I'm not against a statue one little bit. I'm for it. I think it would be good for the town. Um, but to, to, to move a business or close a business down for the sake of a statue that can go elsewhere without affecting um, a business... Um, I just don't see the council's uh, sort of point with it, really. You know, I mean, uh, it, it well, can, it's not the council it can, proposing no, 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 it, no. but yeah, 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 they'll be the one yeah. deciding. They're the it. one who decide. But it, I mean, it's all up in the air still at the moment, anyway. Um, so we just have to see what happens at the time. But it's it it, it could be put somewhere where it's not going to affect anyone's business, um, and that's really. But well, I'm for the statue. You know, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing for the town. Um, and it just just seems to be a shame to take a stall away that's earning revenue for the council, uh, moving a business, um, and uh, when it's real no need where it can go anywhere else. Because they're sort of saying that people are going to come in from America to look at this statue and everything else. I mean, if I was going to travel all the way to America to look at a statue, it wouldn't matter to me if it was on the other side of the road or in a place where it's not affecting anything. If I've come all that way to look at a statue, I would find it whether it was in a back street or whether it was a... Yeah, possibly. But if it was in a, a more prominent position, it would be better. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, without, without a doubt. Yeah. But, but maybe not right in the middle of the high street, right in, in the middle of your no, it, it can be stall. in the middle of the high street, but just not in the middle of one of the stalls. I love the fact that our reporter, Tony Fisher, so obviously wants that statue there. He's not even bothered to pretend at impartiality. Uh, well, David uh, Howell is the co-chair of the Sa- uh, Samuel Ryder Foundation, which is putting in the application. Morning, David. Good morning. And David Lawrence has organised a 200-signature petition against the statue. Dave, can I ask you first, why are you so against the statue? Well, I'm not against the statue at all. Uh, it's just the location, to be fair. It's not considered the market in any shape or form, to be, to be honest. We had no consultation with anybody about it until we suddenly saw uh, two green application notices uh, strapped to a lamppost. That's the first we really knew anything about where it was going to go. You know, they just showed complete disrespect for... The market, as far as I'm concerned. And, and why is it is. why is it the wrong place there, Dave? What what problems would it cause the market? Well, it affects around about uh, six market traders over the three market days that there are there, which is the farmers market and two of the general markets. And uh, particularly on a Saturday, it's going to cause uh, horrendous problems uh, with the vehicles coming on and off and and unloading and loading the stalls. And while the work's carrying on, it's going to be a complete disruption to the traders' businesses, especially, you know, the ones that are close uh, uh, locality to it. David, it's going to cause a nightmare for these market traders. Hello? Yeah, Hello, David. Just... David, can you hear me? Yes, I can yes, now. It's yeah. going to be a nightmare for these market traders. That's what Dave is saying. Right. I, I, I accept that there would have to be some reorganisation, but to answer one of the points about there'd been no um, consultation at all 
we met with the management of the market on the 6th of September 2011, and they said that the market could be reorganised to cope. In response to that meeting, we also wrote a letter to every market stall holder on the 26th of the 9th, 2011. It was a job of the market management to distribute those letters on our behalf. And if they didn't get get those letters, I'm very sorry about that, but we did try to involve them in the process back in September 2011. Dave? Well, all we heard was very little info from from this uh, but, but that's that's not um, that's not uh, this is so confusing that's not david's fault though is it he he, he gave letters to give to the, the that were supposed to be handed out to the market traders well, i'm not saying it's his fault but uh, what i'm saying is is that you know we really needed a direct you know some direct consultation with uh, the people behind the Stanley rider foundation and there was none at all well, I say our letter was a, the opening to try and get us involved in consultation. Um, if there was no response to that letter or it wasn't handed out, then I don't believe the Foundation could be held responsible for that particular action. Uh, however, I do believe that we can all work together to achieve a reasonable outcome to this. David, what compromises could you offer? Is there a chance that the, the location of the statue could be moved? Well, originally we wanted it very much closer to the town hall, and um, it was after consultations with various people in the council that um, we walked the entire city and decided that this would be the compromised location. But it's, it's going to cause problems, apparently, for the market traders. Yes, except that I, I accept that, that some people will have to have their position adjusted. Dave, j- you just adjust your position slightly. Uh, not so easy, particularly on a Saturday when you've got uh, a very full market. The relocation of some of these traders would be uh, very detrimental to their businesses. And uh, when there's other locations that are, you know, just as good around the town centre, then uh, I don't see why we can't sort of talk and maybe come to some agreement that another location will be better. Dave, is it not just a case of a couple of market stalls shift six feet that way, six feet the other way? Would that not work? Uh, not with trees in the way, unfortunately, and, and bollards and what have you. You know, I mean, unless you're going to start taking trees down, it's not going to be so easy. You've got bollards for electrical power for the stalls. And trees that are located. Okay, Dave, we're, we're, gonna, we're running out of time. David, I just want to put it to you. What, what compromise do you think you could offer the market um, traders? I'm, I'm not absolutely sure at this time, but I'm quite prepared, to, or we, the foundation, are quite prepared to meet anybody if they want to have a chat with us on site at any time. Dave, do you fancy having a chat with David and seeing if we, you can reach a compromise? Yeah, no problem at all. I'm going to hand you both back to our. T- Look at this. We're the facilitators. We had this yesterday. Dave Lawrence, uh, David Holwell, thank you very much. I'm going to hand you back to our team. We're going to see if we can arrange a little get-together. Maybe we'll send Tony Fisher down again. See if we can just... D- d- wouldn't it be nice if we could sort something out? Because I think having a statue is a cracking idea, but I don't want any market traders to lose any business as a direct result of that. Oh, wait, 459 455 555 is the phone number. We'll see if we can get those two chatting on site and, and have a little look around. Here's the travel news with Sophie. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
problems we had heading clockwise on the M25 have since returned to normal. The entry slip road has been reopened and it all looks like it's moving fairly nicely now around Junction 23. Now, anti-clockwise, it is heavy, however, between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Also slow again between 21 at the uh, St Albans exit and 20 at Kings Langley and 20 minutes worth of delays between 17 at Maple Cross and 16 at the M40. Now, heading north on the M40, also still heavy at the moment between the Denham Roundabout and Junction 1A at the M25. And everything else looks like we're looking at the usual delays at the moment. Heading south on the A10 through Chesant, fairly slow between uh, College Road and Winston Churchill Way. Also slow again around Bullsmore Lane this morning. And the A405 at North Orbital Road, fairly slow approaching the M25 Junction 21A roundabout. Trains are looking good at the moment. Nothing to update you with there. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. 7.47, a little bit later than normal. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. There are calls for the government to intervene in the case of a World War II pilot forced to sell his medals to pay for his Chorleywood care home. The Luton and Dunstable Hospital has expressed deep regret over communication errors in which a nil-by-mouth patient ended up dying as a result of being fed. In sport, Rafael Benitez has confirmed he'll be leaving Chelsea at the end of the season and has criticised the club's board and the fans following the 2-0 win at Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. Coming up, hundreds of residents are expected to gather outside the council offices in Bedfordshire this morning. They're unhappy about plans for new travellers' sites. Before 8am, I'll be speaking to the Secretary of the Gypsy Council to see what he makes of it. But now it's 7.49, let's get the weather with Elizabeth Rosini. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, a very good morning to you. It's not going to be a bad looking day at all across the three counties today. A bit of a cloudy and a cold start. The best of the brightness and the sunshine will always be towards northern areas of Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire in particular, I think, today. Um, but uh, just some brightness emerging just about everywhere I think into the afternoon. Um, quite a lot of the cloud around to start the day though and a northeasterly breeze that will pick up into this afternoon so uh, of course if you're standing in the more exposed spot then it will feel quite chilly in that wind. It's still coming from a rather cold place but temperatures where we get the brightness and the sunshine and that should be just about everywhere by the end of the day. Then we're looking at temperatures between 7 and 9 degrees Celsius. That's 48 in Fahrenheit. It's not bad at all. As we head into this evening and over night we'll start to see a bit more low cloud spread in though and that's going to give us a few outbreaks of drizzle at times but certainly nothing significant in terms of rainfall temperatures down to around probably four or five degrees celsius in many of the towns so a milder night tonight than we saw last night and tomorrow lots of low cloud around gray misty to start the day and that low cloud quite difficult to shift i think but we might just get a bit of brightness into the afternoon but the higher temperatures will be today i'm afraid tomorrow only up to around six degrees celsius really rather cloudy and it will stay the same for the rest of the weekend as well rather grey and dull I'm afraid lots of low cloud around but um, at least it will stay dry that's what we can can say anyway the start of the meteorological spring tomorrow as well I'm very excited even though it is going to be really rather cloudy that's the forecast thank you Elizabeth it's good to know she's excited isn't it there's three days of sport this weekend on BBC Three Counties Radio and it all starts Friday night after the win over Derby moved them into second place. Breathing space for the Hornets at the midway point of the second period. Watford hoped to strengthen their assault on automatic promotion away to Wolves. Touched by Joel Ekstrand and Watford have got that all-important second goal. Live championship commentary in Three Counties Sport. Friday night from 7, BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Well, residents in central beds say it's D-Day in the saga over where the council will site its gypsy and traveller pitches. Around 130 pitches are needed. 35 sites have been identified and we'll know later where those will be. Travellers say that's not enough. Hundreds of residents are expected to attend to voice their objections. Well, I'm joined now by Adam Zerny, who is the independent central beds councillor for Potton. Morning, Adam. Good morning, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Come to you in a second. I want to say hello to Joseph Jones, who's Secretary of the Gypsy Council. Morning, Joseph. Good morning. Now, Joseph, you live in Buckinghamshire, but you've had a lot of contact with Bedfordshire travellers. Excuse me. What are they telling you? Well, the fact is there's almost, you know, there's almost no proper consultation over this. So there hasn't been, you know, the real input from the community. It's talking about, talking about us, not talking to us. So you'd like to have seen more contact with the Gypsy and Traveller community, and and what would you like yeah, to have proper, said? Proper consultation being done with mm. with families, because if we're talking, in, you know, in some instances up to two thousand and thirty-one, it's only the families themselves that really know what the unmet need is. There are hundreds of people going to the council meeting today to protest against these uh, sites. Why do you think there has been so much opposition to the plans? People get worried. They think that if there's a gypsy site near them, it's going to affect the price of their house. That's often, in my opinion, that's often the motive. And um, that's understandable, but there needs to be more done on, on the part of the council to help people to understand, you know, gypsies and travellers and for better community cohesion. At the moment, there's really nothing. It's interesting you say that it will affect uh, house prices, because all of the... the I don't believe it will, but they believe it will. They believe it will. Because all of the people we've spoken to, all the protesters, not one of them has mentioned that. Why do you think that is? Do you think that they're afraid to mention that? Well, because sometimes in the short term it can affect people's house prices if they cause a lot of trouble when there's a site being made nearby. The same as... If there's any development, new development, you know, uh, being made in your area, if if you protest about it, prospective buyers don't want to buy your house. So if the price house prices go down, that's that's the fault of the protesters, not the the travellers that are moving in to to a nearby site. It's a combination of things, isn't it? It's it's racial stereotyping. It's all sorts of things. Uh, Joseph, say there, Adam. You just heard Joseph there. I'm surprised that, to hear from him that he feels there's not been enough consultation with the travellers themselves. Why is that? Do you think? I thought Joseph put that across very eloquently. He's right. There's been a terrible lack of consultation. I attended a public meeting in Potton last week as a ward councillor. Local travellers and the settled community united in their disgust at the lack of consultation by the council. Would you believe that the council had a consultation last autumn on the nature of the process they'd conduct? Not the sites they're proposing, apparently these weren't ready for the public to be told about, but how they might conduct affairs in the future. They got something like 116 responses from a population of a quarter of a million, which is, what, one in 2,000? And, and today, when many hundreds of people want to attend a public meeting, the council have known for months would be well attended, we're told there'll be a limit of 180 people and it will be enforced. Um, I, and also, I, I agree with Joseph's point about the, the lack of consultation point of view of the, the comments made at the time. And the Gypsy Council were quite right. I mean, they commented in the autumn that the idea of the unmet need cannot be, uh, cannot be estimated till uh, 2031. It was difficult enough to estimate the additional families which may form within the next five to ten years, let alone the next 20. So uh, it sounds like... Neither side's going to be happy. The, the, the travellers aren't happy because they've not been consulted, and the residents aren't happy because they're going to get travellers' sites. So, so, so no one's pleased. Yeah, I'd certainly agree with that. That's certainly the impression I got at the meeting I was at last week. 
300 people plus are expected to turn up at the, the council offices today. Will they be able to cope with that many people? Well, I gather they're going to have the police on hand and they will have people on the door to gauge the numbers. But the thing that concerns me is that it depends on who gets there early. You could have a completely odd reflection of the sort of people that live in the county. You might have people all from one area. There won't be any attempt, as far as I understand, to ensure that there is a mix of residents and travellers from different parts of the county. So it's, just, it's first come, first serve. That's how it works, is it? You, you, you turn up, you get in. Uh, as far as I understand, yes. Joseph, what what do you think needs to happen uh, for travellers to, to build that bridge with these communities? I think that if the council were to to actually work with uh, the community, that that this problem of unmet need can be solved without upsetting lots of people who are concerned about it. Because there are places, you know, across the county where people get on very well with gypsies and travellers and they understand them better than in other parts, you know. So rather than trying to foist sites into areas where people definitely don't want them, why don't they just try and work with the community and put them in places where people don't mind? Well, it's, it gets interesting you say that. It, it, I, I, would anybody say, hey, yeah, listen, we've got a field at the back of our uh, back of ours. Why, why don't you come and build there? I, I, no, but there's a, there's a difference between yeah. a protest from 10 people and 2,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose there is, but but uh, it, it would be unlikely that I would imagine, and again, I could be wrong, that many people would welcome a, a traveller site with open arms. Well, I don't know. That's a, that's a question that can't be answered. Ooh, I've asked a philosophical question. I'm very proud of myself. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Adam, th- th- there are questions, aren't there, surrounding the number of pitches, because th- the council got the numbers wrong and they thought they owned some sites that they didn't own, and it, it's, it sounds like a bit of a mess, doesn't it? Uh, it really does. Uh, the need for traveller sites is set out by the government, and from what I understand from speaking to local travellers, th- there is believed to be a local need, but... I queried Central Bed's figures for the number of sites, which keeps changing. I spoke to a local auditor last week, and he highlighted to me that the council spent just over £2,000 on an outside consultant to confirm the number of pitches they needed to find. He reckoned that equated to about eight hours' work. Well, the company are based in Wales, I might add, so one assumes they've not even been there. Um, Goodness knows, perhaps money plays a part. Uh, There is a fund of money called the New Homes Bonus, which is the... Uh, did I say bribe? The, the money that the central government gives local authorities mm. for new houses and traveller sites equates to about six years council tax. So the council could get potentially up to uh, one and a half million pounds um, for the sites that they provide. And I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that's played a part, but I have asked for confirmation of this figure from the council officers on three occasions, but I've not had a proper answer to my question. There. My figure comes through a reliable source within the government, I might add. All right, Adam, we will, we will investigate that further. Thank you very much, Adam Zerny, who is uh, Independent Central Buds, uh, Beds Councillor for Potton, and Joseph Jones, Secretary of the Gypsy Council. Uh, what do you think? 08459 455 555. If you want to follow this meeting, it's going to be a doozy today. I mean, it really is. They're expecting, I say 300, uh, it could be as many as 500 people. It could be a doozy. As many as 500 people turning up. I don't know why that's funny. It's, it's a word. It's a, that's a word in the English language, isn't it? Doozy? I think you can call a council meeting a doozy. I think so. I am now. Follow uh, at BBC3CR on Twitter because our political reporter, Paul Scoynes, will be there. And he always, uh, he always brings uh, the, the, the facts and also an element of colour as well to his tweets about these council meetings. And this one, I think, is going to be, I've said it before, I will say it again, a doozy. Right. Travel news now, Sophie Tyler. 
Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Starting off on the motorways, anti-clockwise on the M25, still heavy between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Also so between 21A at St Albans and 20 at Kings Langley. And 20 minutes worth of delays as well between 17 at Maple Cross and 16 at the M4. Also fairly heavy heading north on the M40, just between the uh, A40 at the Denham Roundabout and Junction 1A at the M25. That's just coming off the A40 heading towards M25 there. Everything else not looking too bad. The usual delays causing problems now. The Barnet Bypass heading south, still so between Stirling Corner and Mill Hill Circus. Also looking busy on the A10, heading south at the moment, heading it through Chesant. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. I guarantee by, by nine o'clock this morning, we will have got to the end of the mystery of how on earth those ridiculous bank card readers actually work. But before that, news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's 8 o'clock. The headlines, War Hero sells medals to pay care bills, hospital apologises for kneel-by-mouth death and controversial change of use for Amptill Strip Club. BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of a Hertfordshire war veteran forced to sell his medals to pay for care so they don't expect him to receive tr- special treatment. It comes amid calls for the government to intervene in the case of Wing Commander Branson Burbridge, who was honoured for shooting down 21 German aircraft during the war and is now suffering from advanced Alzheimer's. His son Paul told Ian Lee that while he's touched by public concern, Bransom shouldn't be a special case. I don't think my father would want to be made a special case. Um, I don't think anybody owes him a particular kind of debt that is <coughs> any more than all the kinds of people who gave, in many ways, much more than he did. One of the reasons why he uh, tops the the lists of highest scoring night fighter pilots is because he did survive rather than because he was himself killed. The Luton and Dunstable Hospital has expressed deep regret over communications errors which led to a nil-by-mouth patient dying as a result of being fed. Lawyers acting for the family of 68-year-old John Burr said a do-not-resuscitate order led to his being left to choke and struggle for breath for three hours before he died. The hospitals offered Mr Burr's family an unreserved apology and an undisclosed sum of compensation. The Amptill Lap Dancing Club, which sparked furious local protests when it opened in December, is set to cause even more controversy with a change of use. Just three months after it opened, Shaler's will be relaunched as a nightclub tomorrow. Matthew Deere led the campaign against its original incarnation. It's a partial victory. It's a victory for those people who didn't want it because they didn't want a sex venue, uh, and I was one of those. However, there were lots of people who opposed it because they were concerned about um, antisocial behaviour, uh, what might happen with a late uh, establishment that was serving alcohol and so on and so forth. And I think, uh, if anything, they will be more concerned by reports that this is going to be turned into a normal nightclub. Hundreds of people are due at the offices of Central Bedfordshire Council in the next few hours ahead of a meeting about gypsy and traveller sites. The council needs to find 158 pitches, more than first thought, and has 32 sites which have been deemed suitable. We'll keep you up to date in the course of the day. The founder of one of the most famous sporting events in the world, the Ryder Cup, could be about to be honoured in his hometown of St Albans. The Samuel Ryder Foundation have applied to have a statue of their golfing namesake erected in front of the town hall. In sport, the immediate future of the Chelsea manager, Rafael Benitez, is in doubt this morning. Speaking after his side's 2-0 FA Cup win at Middlesbrough, he accused some fans of having an agenda and said the decision to appoint him as interim manager was a massive mistake. He also declared he'd definitely be leaving at the end of the season. The weather, cloudy and mostly 
dry this morning, but brighter later with a top temperature of 6 degrees Celsius. That's 43 degrees Fahrenheit. There's more news and sports online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. Doozy's a word, yeah? Uh, so not a word I use a lot, but I would recognise it, yes. Thank you very much. And she's the news. We've gone from the extremes of me asking a philosophical question to the uh, the travelling gentleman to uh, introducing reintroducing the word doozy back into the English parlance. Ladies and gentlemen, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Here every weekday morning between six and nine, JVS is on at nine. He's been on cracking form this week. He'll probably pop in in about, I don't know, 13 minutes, if you want to be precise, and tell us what's happening on his show today. But between now and nine, on my show, the son of a pilot is auctioning his medals to keep him in his care home near Chorleywood. He was one of the best airmen during World War II. He doesn't think the government should step in to help. Do you? Well, I'll be speaking to the Director of Welfare for the RAF Benevolent Fund to see what he thinks. Just where should the new gypsy and traveller pitches go in Bedfordshire? Hundreds of people are expected to voice their objections at the council offices. Reporter Justin Dealey is with them right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And those blooming bank card readers, the things you put your card in, you type in your PIN, it generates a number and you can go online. How on earth does it work? I have no idea and it's genuinely puzzled me for months. We will have the answer by nine o'clock this morning. A lot of rubbish answers up on the Facebook page. You're all just guessing, and well done you for guessing. If you want to have a look, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. If you want to send me a text, you can do 81333. Start your text 3CR. Put your name on the text. Or you can give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. And also, after a um, member of my team, Kelly Betts, found a purse with £10 in and a bank card. They were umming and ahhing about what to do. She did the right thing, of course. She handed the, the, the purse, in to, purse in to a member of the bar staff. Although, you know that person behind the bar is going to get that tenor. I guess we can take this on a little bit in terms of rewards. I was reminded that when I was much younger, I found a wallet with £150 in. And all the guy's details were in there. Driving licence, bank, there was phone numbers and everything. So I got hold of the guy... Phoned him up, said, oh, I've got your, your wallet. Oh, that's great. Was there any money in there? I said, yeah, there's 150 quid. Oh, brilliant. That's all the money. Fantastic. I'll, I'll come round. I, I, I live a few miles away. I'll drive round and collect it from you. So I drove round and collected it. He drove round and collected it, sorry. 150 quid. He gave me a pound reward. A pound. Jog on, mate. What's the, the right reward to give in a situation like that? I'm reminded, sorry, we'll, we'll carry on the show in a second. I'm off on a tangent now. I'm reminded I was in Sweden visiting my brother-in-law <clears throat> a few years ago. I lost my wallet. Okay, and I was gutted. And I had loads of money and cards and stuff like that in. Uh, and then I got a phone call an hour later from someone who said, I won't do the accent, oh, we found your wallet. We live just around, we live at this address. Would you like to come around and collect it? I thought, fantastic, well, wonderful. And I went around. It was, very, it was a weird scene going on, okay? I am convinced to this day... They, they were swingers, right? So I went in, and they'd Googled me. And this was a few years ago when I was, I was a bit of a maker and shaker. I, bit, I was on telly. They Googled me. And they, were ki- they kind of thought, because I'd been on telly, that I'd like, want to take them to a nightclub in, in Stockholm <laughs> and go out and have like a party. And they said, oh, we're going to go to a party in Stockholm. You're, you're like on TV. Do you want to come and hang out with us? I was like, um, no, I don't. There was a... 
I'm going to say a phrase, and this will mean something to some of you. There was a weird sexual vibe in their flat. It was a weird, there was a weird vibe, and I just wanted to get out. I gave them a reward. I have no idea what the reward was, because it was in foreign money. They looked at me disappointed. Anyway, on to far more serious things. You can have your say on that, 08459 555555. Far more serious uh, and more important issues. The family of a World War II pilot having to auction his medals to keep him in his care home near Chorleywood. Wing Commander Branson Burbridge shot down 21 German aircraft, but now, aged 92, he's suffering from Alzheimer's and is cared for in a privately run care home. Earlier on in the show, I spoke to his son, Paul Burbridge, uh, about how difficult the decision was to make. It's a, a difficult decision because he's suffering from Alzheimer's and you can't fully discuss all these uh, details with him. I think we're... We, we think, my sister and I think, that uh, we're doing what we think he would want, um, having a pretty good idea of, uh, you know, his attitudes on things. These are things which obviously are valued by all kinds of people, and they represent uh, a remarkable sort of period of, of bravery and commitment. Um, and at the same time, they are historical artefacts, as I was saying. Um, we're not selling uh, the valour and the gallantry for which they are, were awarded. We're not selling the story, uh, because that will stay with my father uh, forever, of course, and stay with the family forever. But um, what is hopefully raising money to benefit him while he's still alive uh, are the things, the actual sort of physical things, which, which he has in his possession. Your dad's a hero, let's be honest, you know. And, and, and Do you think maybe the government should step in and, and make a special case of your father I, i've thought about this and uh, actually i don't i think the answer is no i don't i don't think um that he my father would um want to be made a special case um i don't think anybody owes him a particular kind of debt that is any more than all the kinds of people who gave in many ways much more than he did uh, although he was extremely skilled um and he did uh, an exceptional job during the war. There were others, and he, you know, he risked his life many times, of course, but there were others who gave their lives, and he didn't have to do that. He survived, and maybe one of the reasons why he uh, tops the, the lists of highest-scoring night fighter pilots is because he did survive rather than because he was himself killed. And it's very difficult when you, you think of all the sacrifices that people made to say, well, this person... Um, because he was very good at what he was doing, should be made a special case. I think everyone who uh, needs care as an old person in this country should be taken care of. The government should take care of everybody in that sense and make it possible uh, for everybody to end their lives in in comfort and security and with quality care and dignity. Well, Paul Houston is the Director of Welfare for the RAF Benevolent Fund. Morning, Paul! Hello, Ian. Good morning to you. Uh, when you hear a story uh, like this about a 92-year-old hero ha- having to sell his, his medals, and his, his, it's not just medals, there's artworks and there's, there's his logbook and all of these things, to raise money for his care, what, what do you think when you hear something like that? Well, I, I guess um, thoughts on a number of planes, actually. And the first is to say how exciting it is to hearing, hear of the, the daring do of, uh, of World War Two and, and other sort of battles. And... It's typical of the age, isn't it, that uh, Wing Commander Burbridge kept quiet, as it were, about his heroism, his bravery, um, and, uh, and how he protected, despite his own beliefs, 
uh, the population of, uh, of London at that difficult time. But I guess in terms of his own particular situation now in, in, in the care home, it's a, it's a great, great shame, a great tragedy. And uh, whilst uh, Wingamanda Burbage's story is absolutely unique, um, are there many other brave people from the Army, Navy and Air Force who have done remarkable things uh, over the years to protect the nation? Absolutely. Do you think the government should, should step in and, and help heroes like, like this? Um, it would be nice if, if, if the government were able to do so. Uh, I guess if I look from the RF Benevolent Fund's perspective, we try to help people as, as much as we are able, but we have to do that within our own financial means, and, and we have to assess people who uh, seek our support as to how much we are able to help them, if, if at all. I mean, it might, might just be advice, it might be, might be money, but we, ha- we all have to live in, in the real world in terms of financial affordability, and uh, uh, we don't receive any government funding ourselves. It would be nice if the government were able to do more. And I'm just listening to um, Paul Burbage's own statement there, actually, I think the aspiration would be for that everybody would have, particularly as we all enjoy the benefits of living older and living longer, that we might all aspire to living longer in our, either our own home or care homes and enjoying the benefits of a good, dignified uh, lifestyle. Do you hear these kind of stories often, Paul, about families having to sell military memorabilia that belongs to their parents to, to help fund their, their care in later life? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not unique. Um, and in some ways, it's whether it's medals, whether it's history, whether it's homes, all of these are really, really difficult circumstances. And I heard you talking about uh, one of your parents um, being in a care home, my father's in a care home, and we all have to confront the difficulties and and look at the assets that we have. I think it's more emotive, of course, that these were awards of such bravery, um, despite uh, Wing Commander Burbage's um, own own sort of beliefs and that he stepped up to the plate and and helped save the nation in, in, in his own way. But yeah, with, with, with the rules written as they are, um, it is very difficult for everybody confronting, looking after a, a beloved parent as they go into um, a, a care home and as people live longer. Uh, we, we try with the Benevolent Fund to help people, in actual fact, across a whole range of, uh, of, of benevolence. Uh, last year, we helped people within three counties area to the tune of about three quarters of a million pounds, just helping people have dignity in retirement, whether that's in their own home um, or in care homes or from some of the younger people uh, as they transition out of the Air Force. These Who? are all really challenging times. Paul, who's likely to buy these medals? Is, is it going to be a, a museum? Is it going to be, I don't know, a Japanese private collector? How, who buys this kind of stuff? Uh, well, very good question. I mean, there, I, I would think that um, many museums would be interested, but there are also a huge number of private collectors uh, out there, as it were, um, who would just love the stories mm. around um, Brantz's valour um, and you know, look, look to keep those and, and, and um, the story alive, as it were, both in terms of the family, but also in terms of you know, what this means for individual bravery and for the nation as well. Paul, listen, fascinating stuff. Thank you very much. Paul Houston, Director of Welfare for the RAF Benevolent Fund. We'll keep an eye on this story uh, uh, as well, um, because it'll be interesting to see what happens with these medals. Wouldn't it be a shame if all that stuff got split up and some of it went to Japan, some went to America, some went to, I don't know, Kent... Uh, what do you think? Should the government step in and help Branson? 
do, do you think that would is appropriate? The guy is a hero. He's ninety-two. He's got Alzheimer's. Or is it? Well, if you do that for him, then what about everybody else? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Right. It's nearly eight fifteen. I want a doozy of a travel report. Sophie Doozy Tyler. Beds, hearts, and bugs travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. We're still looking much the same at the moment. Starting off on the motorways, anti-clockwise on the M25. It is heavy between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Also still slow between 21A at St Albans and 20 at Kings Langley. While heading north on the M40, it is also very slow between the A40 at the Denham Roundabout and Junction 1A at the M25. Now everything else not looking too bad actually, just the usual delays to update you with at the moment. The A10 looking busy at the moment on the Great Cambridge Road, heading south through Enfield between Bullsmore Lane and Southbury Road and through Chesant as well. Also busy between College Road and Lieutenant Ellis Way. The A41 heading south through Hamwell Hempstead also looking fairly busy just between the Hamwell Hempstead turn-off and King's Langley at Junction 20 of the M25. Trains are still looking good on the departure board this morning. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. That was a real doozy. Thank you, Sophie. Morning, it's 8.16. It's Thursday the 28th of February. I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of a Hertfordshire war veteran forced to sell his medals to pay for care say they don't expect him to receive special treatment. The Luton and Dunstable Hospital has expressed deep regret over communications in which a nil-by-mouth patient ended up dying as a result of being fed. In sport, the immediate future of Rafa Benitez is in doubt this morning after he attacked the Chelsea board and the fans following the 2-1 win at Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Cloudy and mostly dry this morning, brighter later with a top temperature. Here's a football joke, football fans. I got You should follow the excellent at Twop Twips on Twitter. They do, they do some superb stuff. Uh, and someone has just, um, has just tweeted this. Get your Chelsea manager name by combining your first name with your last name. It's bound to come up eventually. BBC Three Counties Radio. Nick Coffer, across beds, hearts and bucks. On Friday, my tour of the Three Counties continues with me visiting the Bullin at Redbourne. Nick Coffer. I'll be having a go at Lawn Bowls. There'll be music from an all-female folk band and I'll be sampling some of the delights from Redbourne Berry Mill. Nick Coffer, Monday to Saturday from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't sound surprised I look smart. <laughs> Jonathan, Ver- Jonathan Vernon Smith has, has come in, himself looking a little bit scruffy. Bit a, when I iron top, I, I iron the collars as well. Uh, he's, he's come saying, why are you looking all smart? What, what's going on? What are you doing? Did you? Is that a moleskin blazer? No, it's corduroy. 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 How very chemistry teacher. <laughs> I haven't got the leather patches, although I, 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 I did. I was fingering a jacket in a shop the other day, and it had the leather patches on the, the elbows. I thought... That does look very, very smart, actually. Yes. I'm 40 this year. Very practical as well. Yeah, you can rest your elbows without wear and tear. Exactly. How's your back today? Oh, it's wonderful! I was a little worried um, Mm. that I might have uh, caused you long-lasting damage. Yes. Well, it was was a little bit stiff yesterday after you clicked it, and I was thinking of of phoning the consumer hour. To see if there's anything you could do. I can imagine you phoning yourself up <laughs> in the office and arguing. But no, it's but no, it's great. It's good, is it? And I, I did enjoy your consumer hour yesterday, you cheeky little consumer ferret, you. Oh, no, don't. I know. 
<laughs> it was a great, the first call says, oh, well, my daughter likes to call you the Consumer cons- Crusader. Yeah, I like that. And then this fella phoned up and said, yeah, I think of you as a ferret, Jonathan. You don't let go. And you were obviously really mortified by that. You could hear... You ought to be called a ferret. Who little, wants to be called a ferret? They stink. There was this little heartbreak in your voice. And then he did it again. I know. And now there's a song on the internet all about how I'm a consumer ferret. Oh, it's going to stick, though, isn't it? You are. I do. You've got me. You've got the same teeth. <laughs> Is that what he was referring to? I don't know. <laughs> how hurtful. Why do I come in here for abuse? You've got a furry back. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop it. Don't, because this will wound. <laughs> it will do. He's laughing now. He's crying on the inside. I'm going to go out that door and uh, repeatedly smash my head against the wall. Oh, no, don't, don't. Do it on the wall I can't see. So, listen, you've been on, you've been on fire this morning. Oh, have uh, I? Th- this week, sorry, this oh. week. You've been great this week. Have I? Yeah, you've been really good. Thanks for I've, so I've been thoroughly enjoying it. It's very nice. Uh, keep the standard up to date. What is your big question this morning? Well, coming up uh, at nine on the big phone-in, it's, uh, it's the big local story today for us here in Beds, Hearts and Bucks. I'm going to be asking, do you understand the hostility towards travellers? Hundreds of people are expected to go to the offices of Central Bedfordshire Council this morning ahead of a meeting about gypsy and traveller sites. The council needs to find 158 pitches, more than first thought, and has 32 sites which have been deemed suitable. But many people living near these sites are unhappy about the potential changes. I hear, little birdie tells me... They are expecting coach loads of people to turn up at the council offices this morning to protest and to complain. Well, can you understand that level of hostility? Do you think, oh gosh, I'd feel exactly the same way if they were going to be uh, putting loads more traveller pitches near me. I'd also want to go to the council and say, no, I'm not having it. Or do you think it's very unfair? Do you think travellers need somewhere to live? And actually this hostility is totally and utterly unreasonable. Your views from nine, please, on 08459 Five five double five. Do you understand the hostility towards travellers? Well, why I find interesting, we just spoke to a, to a traveller, and neither side's happy. Neither side feels the, the travellers and the residents feel they've been consulted properly, and they all kind of feel a bit left out. Really hostility all round. We're hoping as well uh, a little later on on my show to go live to the council offices and uh, we'll be talking to some of those protesters. Do they feel their hostility is misplaced or not? We'll find out later. Thank you very much. We shall uh, be listening. If you want to, I do suggest, if you're on Twitter, follow uh, at BBC3CR because Paul Scoynes, our political reporter, will be be there tweeting and he always paints a very colourful picture of these meetings. You you get the facts and you get, I was going to say the glamour. Glamour's the wrong word, isn't it, for a council meeting? (laughs) There's very little glamour there. You get the facts and you kind of get the human interest side of it as well. It's genuinely uh, a a fascinating uh, read. Now, this uh, story about this this war hero, Wing Commander Branson Burbridge. I wonder if any people are called Branson these days. What a fantastic name. His family are being forced to sell his medals. He's 92 years old. um, Being forced to sell his medals and other war memorabilia to help pay for his care. Well, what do you think? What do you think, John in Milton Keynes? Hi, good, good morning, Ian. Morning. Yeah, well, this morning um, when I heard it on the radio, um, I was driving to work, and you know, it made my it made my blood nearly boil. Wow, well, nearly boil. Yes. Do you know what? Well, it, it's boiling right now. I mean, Ouch. I'm pretty angry with it. You know, it's it's this is just a clear example of really how the government don't give a monkeys about old people in their hour of need. This is a clear-cut example. This is the extreme case of when someone who's basically risked his life multiple times going up there. Right, defending the, the skies of southern England, 
right, all in years ago. And this is how it's been treated. It is absolutely di- disgusting. The government, whoever it needs to be ashamed of themselves, absolutely ashamed of themselves. There are some... John, sorry to interrupt. There are some people who might say that, but listen, hang on. If the government steps in to help Bransom... Then there are other people that served in in the armed forces during World War Two that are in need of care. They have to step in and help them. A- and the money, I guess, isn't there, is it? Well, the thing is, you see, I mean, there, there needs to be a category of people who need to be be given um, exemption from having to sell their assets. I mean, right. not only is it good enough for, for them to screw us over by making us sell our homes when we get old, now they want to take this guy's war medals too. You know, it, the, the whole thing is just like it's sick. It's so, scraping the bottom of the barrel. So how? Really but, but, but then once once you start kind of trying to categorise, and uh, then you have that that weird argument where you go, okay, well, well Branson shot down twenty one Germans. What's what's the cut off if someone killed? five nazis do they get their care paid for or or or, or do you see what i mean you then have to kind of have a cutoff point i see i see what you mean but i mean the thing is i mean an asset could be i mean war medals they're valued at um 100 i guess they're valued at over a hundred thousand pounds now the thing is that's a personal artifact it's mm. a personal item that's personal to him i mean i mean so where where, where are they going to draw a line by absolutely fleecing you of everything you've got personal stuff which may be of some sort of value where do they draw the line to basically taking everything off us i mean this guy you know i i feel i feel sick of it really sick john listen we've got to end it there sorry to cut you short i hope you feel you you got your say john and milton Keynes. things are going to change and improve slightly in uh, what 2017 i think four years time um, and, and it's that thing we said. Well, he killed twenty-one Nazis, so yes, we, we'll let we'll, we'll pay for him. But uh, your granddad, he only he only killed one Nazi, I'm afraid. So that wasn't enough. He should have he should have tried harder. We're not going to pay for his. How do you categorise it? It's, it's interesting. What was interesting was that the the guy's son said, "Well, no, we don't think that the, the, the government should step in and, and, and treat him." any differently gary and luton says i think it's disgraceful that the fighter pilot has to sell his medals for care i believe contrary to what his family say we do owe him a great debt and he should be treated as the hero he is the government should pay for his care he's not a special case he's just a rare one god bless him oh wait four five nine four double five five double five it's the thing that's been bugging me all morning these card readers i've got a card reader I put my bank card in, type in the pin, it gives me an eight-digit number that allows me to access my bank account online. Dom from High Wycken. How on earth do they work, Dom? I can't tell you that. Oh, well, what have you called <laughs> in for, then? Uh, right. These card readers... Yes. Um, according to my bank, um, basically, I can use a pin sentry that works on any UK bank. So, oh. where, for example, you, ba- you I, think, I guess you bank with Barclays, um, I bank with Lloyds. If I were to turn up to your house, I could access my bank account by putting my card into your... Oh, really? Because one of the people on the Facebook page was saying, well, actually, yeah, it's um, each each card reader relates to that individual person, but it, it, it doesn't even, it's not even each bank relates to that person. No. It, you could use any no, of no, them. I mean, I, so I, I bank with Lloyds, it's a business account. Um, and obviously they've got like the help down the side and, um, and it says that you can use an, an, any pin entry from any UK bank. People are, lots of people are saying, um, Stephen Milton Keynes on the text and Stephen on Facebook. They're all saying algorithms. Stephen says algorithms, mate. That's all you need to know. What does that mean? Um, I guess it's got something to do with those book of algorithms that you got when you were at school. I'm getting so... Dom, listen, thank you for not really taking the argument on that much further. (laughs) If anything, you've muddied the waters even more, Dom. Thank you very much. Algorithms? Can I be honest? I don't really know what algorithms are. 
Are they like, they're like combinations of numbers and patterns, are they? I don't know. Oh, God, I look like an idiot. Nothing unusual there. Now, residents in Central Bed say it's D-Day in the saga over where the council will site its gypsy and traveller pitches. Around 130 pitches are needed. 35 sites have been identified and we'll know later where those will be. Travellers say that's not enough and hundreds of residents are expected to attend the meeting to voice their objections. Well, our gypsy correspondent, Justin Daly, has been at the council offices in Bedfordshire for the last half an hour. Well, it's just gone 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm just inside the council offices here. The meeting doesn't start until 10, but already lots of people arriving. Raymond, you're one of those. You're from Moggerhanger. Tell us why you don't want travellers in Moggerhanger. Well, I, I think the, the, what you've said to me, we don't want them. I don't think that's the word we should use. I think they can be anywhere, wherever you would like to put them. They keep their self to their self. But Moggerhanger is a very small village which has problems with sewerage, community... We have no doctor surgery. Our bus routes is not very good. Our road system in the village is very small. Is that the real reason, though, Raymond? Well, is this really about your house price? You're worried well, that's going to go down in value? Of course I'm worried about it. I, I've not worked all my life to lose my castle, as one would call, as a valuation. Do you think your village will become unsafe if this is signed off? I think this village could be not one of the best villages to live in, which it is at the moment. Just because of travellers? Because of the travellers coming into the community. I mean, some people would say, and I put this question to you, you're a racist. What would you say to those people? No, I'm not a racist. I'm a realist. That's the difference today. So you're genuinely saying that, that you're here today because there's sewage problems and the village can't take any more. That, that's your genuine reason. That's you're honestly saying that's the truth. That's the truth and I am not. And I am for the village. I've lived in the village many years and as far as I'm concerned, we're not capable of taking them. Lots of people arriving already. The police are going to be here. Do you think there will be trouble here today? I hope not. I think they're grown adults and they, shouldn't, they should act as grown adults. That's my opinion. There's no reason to have problems. Okay, appreciate your time. Thank you. That's uh, Raymond. So uh, more to come after 8.30. The meeting starts at 10 and uh, lots of people arriving already. Hundreds expected today here in Bedfordshire. That's Justin Dealey outside the council offices in Bedfordshire. After 9 o'clock, JVS is asking, do you understand the hostility towards travellers? You can give them a call now if you want. 08459 455 555. Apparently, I've confused algorithms with logarithms. And Paul Scoynes finds that hilarious. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still looking busy out there on the motorways at the moment. Anti-clockwise on the M25, heavy between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Also slow between 21A at St Albans and 20 at Kings Langley. And on the M40, it's looking heavy as well, heading north between the A40 at the Denham Roundabout and Junction 1A at the M25. Also slow towards London at the moment, between Junction 2 at Beaconsfield and 1A also at the M25. Heading south on the A1 through Sandy, it is busy at the A603 at the Sandy roundabout the barnet bypass also still slow heading south between sterling corner and mill hill circus also busy as well on the a10 at the great cambridge road heading through chesant around winston churchill way also busy as well between bullsmore lane and southbury road through enfield everything else not looking too bad at all trains are moving nicely sophie tyler bbc three counties radio Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking this is bbc three counties radio 
Good morning with the 8.30 headlines. I'm Catherine Boyle. There are calls for the government to intervene in the case of a World War II pilot forced to sell his medals to pay for his Chorleywood care home. The Luton and Dunstable hospitals expressed deep regret over communication errors which led to a nil-by-mouth patient dying as the result of being fed. And the Amptill lap dancing club, which sparked furious local protests when it opened in December, is set to cause even more controversy by relaunching as a nightclub. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. The immediate future of the Chelsea manager, Rafael Benitez, is in doubt this morning after he rounded on the club's board and supporters following the 2-0 win at Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. The Spaniard confirmed he'll be leaving at the end of the season and criticised the decision to call him interim manager. I have experience as a manager and I will do my best until the last day. Uh, they put me the title of interim manager. It's a massive mistake. I am the manager and I will manage the team and until the end, every single minute. If they want to carry on wasting time with these things because they have an agenda, they have to take responsibility if something is wrong. What they have to do is to support the team and then everyone has to stick together and we can achieve what we want to achieve. So they have to realise that they are not making any favour to the rest of the fans and also to the players. Luton have confirmed that the highly rated teenage goalkeeper Tyler Redding has joined Norwich on a two-year scholarship agreement for an undisclosed fee. The Hatters' head of youth operations, Matt Stannard, says they would never stand in the way of a player who's offered the opportunity to move on to a bigger club. A New Zealand 11 closed day two of the cricket tour match in Queenstown on 224 for six, trailing England's first innings total by 202 runs. Earlier, Ian Bell made 158 in England's total of 426. Hamish Rutherford made 90 for the New Zealand 11 as he looked to play his way into the team for the first test match, which starts on Tuesday in Dunedin. Finally, rugby and the Ireland prop, Kean Healy, has successfully appealed his suspension for stamping on England's Dan Cole during the Six Nations match in Dublin early this month. Healy's now free to play in Ireland's next match against France, which is a week on Saturday. That's your latest news and sport. More from me at nine o'clock. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Would a statue of one of St Albans most famous residents be welcome outside the town hall? Well, market traders don't think so. Our reporter Tony Fisher has been to meet them to find out why. We'll do have that in a few minutes. And these bank card readers, the things that allow you to access your bank account online. I was speaking to work experience, Ollie. He hasn't got one. He's just got a password. Oh, my word. That's, that's so early 2000s. He hasn't got any money either. So, anyway, we think we may have found someone who knows the answer to how these things work. We'll be speaking to them before nine o'clock. Um, we've been talking as well this morning about uh, you, you find a, a wallet this happened to Kelly Betts, one of our teams she found a purse on the floor at a gig £10 was in it and a bank card she called out the name of the person on the bank card no one answered so she kind of ummed and ahed and then handed the money in her friends were going, oh go on, go on we can get some WKD with that go on, go on, let's do it Kelly Betts went, no, I work for the BBC I'm responsible, if this got out I would be in serious trouble, I'm going to hand this in Karen has said, uh, my daughter had a bag stolen from the train last year. It was found by a young lady who called me to say she'd found it. Inside uh, was her purse and bank card. Thankfully, she had little cash on her. But this lady had done the decent thing by contacting me. In addition, transport police caught the guy who stole the bag. So if you find a purse, hand it in. What's, before now and nine o'clock, 27 minutes, what's a good reward to give? I once found a wallet with £150 in, called the bloke up. He was, oh, that's brilliant. I'll come and collect it. Gave me a pound. He gave me a pound. You shouldn't expect anything, but I expected more than a pound. 08459 455 555. What's the decent amount of a reward? 
Now, would a statue of one of St Albans' most famous residents be welcome outside the town hall? Market traders don't think so. Plans have been submitted to put up the statue uh, of the golfer and creator of the Ryder Cup, Mr Samuel Ryder. The idea has come from the Samuel Ryder Foundation. They, uh, their aim is to raise awareness of the man's achievements, which includes the biennial golfing contest between Europe and America. Our reporter Tony Fisher went to St Albans on Market Day yesterday to find out why not everyone thinks it's a good idea. And just pay attention, this is a classic journalism. Tony Fisher remains impartial throughout this and in no way gives, lets us know what his opinion on the story is. Standing in the middle of St Albans, busy morning, a busy afternoon here, uh, markets on, and uh, we're standing in the spot where the Samuel Ryder statue is going to be. Dave Lawrence, you've organised a petition against this Samuel Ryder that's statue. Right, that's right. We're standing in the precise spot where it's going to be. Um, I don't see a problem. What's the problem? Well, the problem is it takes half of the way of this stall here because it's 14 foot by 12 feet. And uh, obviously this is a Wednesday. On a Saturday, there's another two stalls here generally uh, where the statue is standing. And uh, it affects basically about six traders in total because you've got different traders on a Wednesday, different traders on a Saturday. So it's not just affecting two stalls it's affecting more than that and then obviously you've got the the butcher's stall here which may be a problem once they've erected it you know because it goes right out to that distance as well but it's only seven foot tall is it really going to take up that much of space height wise no it's just the 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 ground area it's covering it's taking away about four to six feet of his stall there which they can't move the stalls along because you've obviously got the trees You've got the bollards there well, are in the way. And you've got to bear in mind as well, it may be a Wednesday, but Saturday is a lot busier. And you've got all the vehicles that's going to come on at half past four to, to unload and load, you know, load their vans from the stalls. They can still get past there, there's enough room. No, you see it when it's a market day, very busy, very busy indeed. And also this is one of the ways they usually come in and out because, you know, obviously when you've got so many stalls and so many vehicles... There's always going to be a problem that somebody's going to reverse into the statue as well, which could be, you know, not hazardous to the statue, more so to the people that might be sitting there. But at least here, know. it's very visible, Dave. And it's visible. he was one of the res- St Albans' yeah. most famous residents. Yeah, Himself, you know, yeah. you, you're away, created the Ryder Cup, yeah, yeah. famous biennial match between America and, uh, and Europe. He, he needs to be recognised, doesn't he? Well, the problem in a is... prominent spot. The problem is, is on a market day, he's not so visible. He's not so recognisable. Because you've got the height of the stalls that's going to block, block out part of the statue. You've got this area here where all the veggies stacked up it's gone down a little bit now as you can see but on a Saturday that is full of veg and boxes and uh, there's quite a few other locations you know in and around the town centre where this statue could go and be highly visible so we're not saying we don't want a statue we just feel it's in the wrong location to be fair well where where would you put it I mean this is the best place for it isn't it just down from the town hall um, in the middle of the high street well, you've got across the road, which is still on the high street. You've got uh, going towards the civic centre. There's quite a big open fair through, you know, fairway there where it could go. Uh, there's been suggestions made of the roundabout at the top of the town, so everybody sees it as they come in. Uh, but you know, this is the location they've actually picked. So 
and we're not happy about it. <laughs> and uh, you've got a, a 200 signature petition? 232 in total, uh, mostly market traders and farmers markets. And uh, also, what does uh, statues attract? They attract pigeons. So when you go to the Sunday market where there's a lot of open food stalls, you've got pigeons and, you know, they make a mess and you've got the wind blowing and blows it all over the place. So you could actually contaminate the food that's in the area, which is, you know, I don't think they've done a proper risk assessment either of it, you know, because obviously they're going to put seating around this statue, which partly to protect the statue but it's not going to protect the people that's going to be sitting around yeah. the statue but it'd be a nice yeah. feature wouldn't it dave lovely feature middle middle of st albans lovely feature uh, people place. will look at it they'll realize why he was a famous resident yeah. and it'll attract more tourists and you might get more trade it's possible we get more trade but if it was over the road we get more trade probably as well so Excellent reporting there from Tony Fisher, who in no way let us know what his opinion was on the story. Impartial, straight down the line. Got to be honest, if that gentleman's best arguments were, someone might reverse into it, and the pigeons. I don't think, as, as work experience, Ollie pointed out, I don't think statues attract pigeons. I think it's they just sit on them because they're there. It doesn't attract them. It won't be any more pigeons. Well, Mary Moore is Samuel Ryder's only surviving grandchild and is the president of the Samuel Ryder Foundation. Good morning, Mary. Hello. Uh, What would it mean to you to have a statue of Samuel Ryder in St Albans? Um, Well, of course, I'm all in favour of it. I don't like to think of people being upset and unhappy about it. I don't want to get drawn into the controversy, but I'm hoping that that where there's a will, there's a way and that the statue will be achieved. I think it's high time that St Albans recognised Samuel for what he did and uh, a statue is the obvious thing to have and I'm hoping it will go ahead. And as as a a, a relative, what would it mean to you, Mary, to, to have that statue there? Um, it would mean an enormous amount. It would be a tremendous honour and, um, I think, long overdue, actually. It would mean a very great deal. When you were growing up, when you were a little girl, how aware were you of, of his achievements? Uh, very, very much so. Um, my mother was Samuel's eldest daughter and um, she often used to tell me uh, her recollections of her father because, sad. He died when I was two, so I don't have personal memories of him, but many, many tales my mother used to tell, and uh, uh, she and her two sisters uh, idolised him. He, he was evidently a very exceptional man and a wonderful father, so I heard about him from my very, very earliest years. Well, 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 try and paint a picture of Sammy Fikan, Mary. What, what, what stories did your mum tell, tell you about him? Um, well... Uh, For one thing, he outwardly, apparently, was quite gruff and could almost be forbidding. But underneath that, he had uh, a a very quirky sense of humour and um, he he used to love to um, make people laugh, uh, keeping a straight poker face himself. Uh, I can remember...
remember her telling me on one occasion he went off to play golf because, of course, he became a golf addict where the Ryder Cup uh, seed was sown. Um, and he went off to play golf at uh, Verulam uh, wearing a, a silly little pink woolly hat. And his wife, my granny, had very little sense of humour. And she <laughs> said, you can't go with a thing like that. You'll look ridiculous. And Sam said, well, the people who know me won't worry. They'll laugh anyway. And if they don't know me, what does it matter? <laughs> Golfers? Your gran didn't have much of a sense of humour? No, granny didn't. She was a a very honest and very straight lady. um, And she was a great support to Samuel in uh, building up the rider seed business. Mm. Um, She was a a great, a great standby. But um, she she wasn't a a jokey lady. But uh, he loved quiet humour. And uh, it was a very important part of his life. Do you ever play golf? golf mary no the, um, unfortunately sport has never been a big thing in my no. life um of course uh, having golf in the family i've i i have learned to understand golf i know what's happening so i can enjoy the Ryder cup when i go i know what they're doing and follow it all uh, but playing sport has never meant much to me but i do follow another rider tradition uh, which is music it's a strong thing in the rider family and uh, that is my line my hobby my uh, professional work has been art which i enjoyed working with my husband for many years but uh, music is my hobby which i now enjoy very much mary do you get to go to the rider cup then do you kind of get special the, 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 you know the, the, the make way mary moore's coming through everybody come and <laughs> give her a seat do you get that kind of special treatment <laughs> Well, I am lucky enough to be invited by the uh, British PGA, and uh, I have been going to the Ryder Cup uh, since 2002. That was the first one I attended, and I have been to each of them since. So I'm very, very fortunate to be invited. Um, There's a a Ryder party, a family party of us go, because there are two great-grandsons of Samuel Ryder. Um, They're not my sons but uh, they are the sons of my cousin and uh, uh, they are part of the family party. There are usually six or seven of us in all. Fantastic. So it sounds... the PGA are very, very generous to us. Mary, what, what would you say to these market traders who, who are slightly upset by the, the, the location of the statue? Um, I, I would certainly hope that um, a solution can be found which is agreeable to everybody. Um, I, I don't like to think of anybody's business being pushed out but i wouldn't have thought it would come to anything quite so drastic as that and of course i doubt very much whether they are st albans residents and the residents of the town should have the preference i would think but uh, i would like to think that uh, stalls can be relocated or some agreeable solution be found i i certainly hope that will be possible mary i appreciate your time this morning and i really appreciate your stories fantastic and and lovely to hear about your grand uh, grandfather that's mary moore who's samuel Ryder's only surviving grandchild and president of the samuel Ryder foundation isn't that lovely 8 45 travel news now sophie tyler beds hearts and bucks travel bbc three counties radio 
Clockwise on the M25, looking slow at the moment between 24 at Potter's Bar and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Also slow anti-clockwise at the moment, fairly heavy between 26 at Waltham Abbey as well. And London bound on the M40, also still slow between Junction 2 at Beaconsfield and 1A at the M25. Now also heading through Welling Garden City in both directions on the A1000, that's Broadwater Road. We're getting reports that it is closed in both directions following an accident. Two vehicles involved around Bridge Street. Thanks to Jan for calling that one in. We'll uh, find out a little bit more information on that for the next update for you. Trains are still looking good on the departure boards this morning. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. Morning, 8.46, Thursday the 28th of February. This is Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. There are calls for the government to intervene in the case of a World War II pilot forced to sell his medals to pay for his Chorleywood care home. The Luton and Dunstable Hospital has expressed deep regret over communication errors which led to a nil-by-mouth patient dying as the result of being fed. In sports, Luton have confirmed that highly rated teenage goalkeeper Tyler Redding has joined Norwich on a two-year scholarship agreement for an undisclosed fee. Coming up, just where should the new gypsy and traveller pitches go in Bedfordshire? Hundreds of people are expected to voice their objections at the council's offices. Our reporter Justin Dealey has been there this morning and we'll hear from him before nine. But now at 8.47, let's get the weather with Elizabeth Rossini. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, a very good morning to you. Today's not going to be a bad-looking day, but it's a bit cloudy and cold out there to start with. Temperatures at the moment around 2, 3 degrees Celsius, just 1 actually in High Wycombe at the moment. So, yeah, a bit of a chilly old start, but we'll see some brightness emerge, or more brightness emerge, through the rest of the morning. And into the afternoon, some spells of sunshine out there as well. Temperatures between 7 and 9 degrees Celsius later on this afternoon in Luton and Milton Keynes, down in St Albans as well. Um, 9 degrees Celsius here if we get some sunshine, and I think we will through the afternoon. That's 48 in Fahrenheit. We've still got the northeasterly wind though, so if you stand in a more exposed spot, then it will feel quite chilly with the wind chill coming, still coming from a very cold place, of course. Now, into this evening and overnight, lots more low cloud, a milder night tonight than we saw last night. Lows of around 3 or 4 degrees Celsius. Perhaps a few spits and spots of drizzle just where the clouds are at its thickest. Otherwise staying dry, but it will be a cloudy, damp grey old start to the day tomorrow. Some mist patches out there as well, and that low cloud very difficult to shift so not too much in the way of brightness and sunshine tomorrow perhaps a few chinks in the cloud coming into the afternoon but highs of only five or six degrees celsius a bit disappointing for the first day of the meteorological spring which will be tomorrow very excited about that over the weekend though gray dull little bit damp at times otherwise though staying dry that's the good news and temperatures will be between around five and seven degrees celsius that's the forecast There are so many ways to listen to Three Counties Radio on FM 95.5, 103.8 and 104.5, on AM 630 and 1161, online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. And now on DAB Digital Radio, search for us, BBC 3CR, bringing local radio to you in more ways than ever. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Should there be a uh, Samuel Ryder statue in St Albans? Don, you live in St Albans. Yes, I do. What do you think of this? Well, I think there should be a statue there. I mean, we're a city here, and you go to any other city, and there's statues all over the place. And the the most central place is obviously in front of its town hall. Well, its town hall is a brand-new building, really. It's called a city hall. And, um... There is room for statues there, but I think they could be a more modern-type statue. But uh, the Sam Ryder one would fit beautifully where it is, and I can't see that it um, worry too many people, Don, really. Don, these market traders are upset. They've got a petition signed by, I think, 232 people. People are obviously against it to a certain extent yeah well i can understand their concern about it i don't really want to talk about the market traders because of that but i would ask do they actually live in st albans or you know do they just come there for market for the trade perhaps we we want that but um i don't know I, i can't see that a statue would actually get in their way you know, it could be to their advantage. There could be uh, perhaps, um, you know, these old dog troughs that they used to have in the olden days uh, <laughs> for dogs to uh, get a drink from. Uh, I I mean, they that... could fit one of those and a fountain with yeah. a statue on top of it, and I think that would look great. OK, know? Don, listen, thank you very much, Don. Lives in St Albans, he's for it. I thought they were horse troughs, the old troughs. I always assumed they were horse troughs for, for like, the olden days when, you know, horses still existed. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Residents in Central Bedfordshire will find out where they stand in the uh, saga. Uh, sorry, we we'll find out where they stand in the saga over where the council will site its gypsy and traveller pitches. Around one hundred and thirty pitches are needed. Thirty-five sites have been identified, and we'll know later where those will be. Travellers say that's not enough. Hundreds of residents are expected to attend to voice their objections. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, is at the council offices in Chicksands this morning. There's plenty of people still arriving for this meeting at 10 o'clock. Chris Cox is here. Chris, you're from the Barson Residents Action Group. How many people do you think are going to be here from Barson today? Uh, we're hoping about 200, to be honest. I mean, uh, we had um, 400 turn up to a meeting midweek. Um, so, obviously, people have got work commitments. But right, so you know. Where are they going to go? 200 people from Barson alone? <laughs> uh, well, to be honest, we're just hoping that they can get parked um but you know we that they, they might not even be let in but as long as they turn up and uh, we show good representation that'll be good okay what are the proposals for barson where you live uh, the proposals are for two uh, traveller and gypsy sites, one at each end of the village. Each site contain anything up to um, 10 pitches um, per site, so we, you know, we could be looking at a total of uh, 20 pitches. Let's be honest about this. You're furious. That's yep. why you're here today. Tell us why you're so angry. Um, we're angry because um, we're, we're protecting our, our village, to be quite honest. It's, um, you know, our village is in the green belt, as are many others. Um, is it really about the green belt, though, or are you thinking, we just don't want travellers here in our community. Well it, well, it is about the green belt, and that's the angle that we're going to be coming from to start with. You know, people people choose to live in Barton because they like the countryside and everything surrounding. They enjoy it. Um, you know, the, the green belt's there for a reason. The government directive said that um, gypsy and traveller sites in the green belt is inappropriate development, so um, that, that's where we're coming from. Is the real reason, though, house prices and you're worried about security in your village if this goes ahead? Um, security is obviously something that you need to be concerned about um, on a daily basis anyway, whether, whether travellers are in the area or not, to be quite honest. But um, I, I can say that not 
me personally, but there are industrial units in the village, businesses alike, and some of them have actually already voiced their concern and said that they, they would actually give notice on their tenancy should this ha- go well, ahead. I've got to ask you this. Some of these stereotypical views, and again, I'll put this question to you that I put to somebody else earlier on, are you just a racist? Absolutely not. If somebody um, would like to take the time to look through the objection letters, they'll read that um, all the comments are all associated with things like Greenbelt issues, areas uh, of natural outstanding beauty, um, wildlife, um, proximity to listed buildings, things like this. And if anything, a lot of the issues actually look at the welfare of the travellers. Do travellers really want to live next to, you know, a dual carriageway and um, things like that? Okay, thank you very much for your time. That's uh, Chris. A quick word here with Julia. It's from Barton as well. You've got your signs with you today. Tell us what that says. It says, Barton says no to sites 15 and 16. Are you just a NIMBY? No, I'm not just an NIMBY at all. Not at all. And do you think today that we're certainly going to hear lots of passion? I mean, 200 people from Barton alone, surely we're going to hear lots of views and lots of passion from you, aren't we? Um, yes, I think you will. But, I mean, Barton isn't going to be the only people here today. Yeah. Um, there's going to be plenty of people coming from other areas around as well because this isn't just Barton-specific today. OK, and just lastly, are you confident that this won't go ahead? With the protest today where you live in Barton, are you confident that the, these plans will not go ahead? Um, there's partly I am because we, we've got a lot of reasons why that totally contradict everything that's written down in the guidelines, but at the same time I think they're hell-bent on pushing these proposals through. Well, that's Justin Dealey at the, um, the, the council meeting, which hasn't even started yet, and it sounds like there's a big turnout already. After nine o'clock, JVS is asking this morning, do you understand the hostility towards travellers? You can start calling him now, 08459 He's having a good scratch of his chin. I can see through the glass there. I hope everything's okay. Now, (laughs) if you want to go onto your bank online and you're with a decent bank, you'll get one of these little pin card machines. It looks like a calculator. You put your bank card in, you type in your pin number. It gives you supposedly a random number that allows you then to access your account online. I've got no idea how it works. Well, uh, Andrew Rayner is a technology expert from St Albans. Andrew, is, is it magic? Is it voodoo? Uh, it's not magic, Ian, no. That's, that's not how it works. That's something. Uh, basically, these readers use something called the Chip Authentication Programme, or uh, app. Yeah. I can't keep this as simple as possible. Please, do keep it really... You're talking to an idiot, so keep yeah, it yeah, really simple. Okay. I'm just giving the appropriate names. But it, it uses um, two factors to authenticate who you are. Um, the first one is something that you know, which is your PIN, yeah. your PIN number. And the other thing is something that you have, which is your card. Yeah. Okay, so it it basically um, uses those two pieces of information to be able to create um, a a unique identity. Now, there's one other factor here that's quite important. Because you're remote from the bank, the other thing it needs to do is make sure that each of these uh, codes that it creates are unique. So it uses a third factor, and usually that's the time. Ah. The reason they use the time is, A, because it it adds a randomness to the uh, generated code, and secondly, because they can time limit the access of that particular code that's been generated. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay, I've got another question for you. Of course, yeah. How... How does it do it? I don't... I, I understand. Okay, so the time factor is good. The, ti- the, the, the time is, is kind of what makes it a little bit special. Okay, but, let but, me give you a really simple example. Yeah, please. Imagine I took your um, uh, postcode yes. and your telephone number. Yes. And I just mixed the numbers uh, and uh, letters uh, alternating. Right. I think I'd create a unique code. Yes. The trouble is that anyone with those two pieces of information could create that code. Yes. If I now um, added, let's say, the first digit of the hour of the time to all the numbers in the sequence... Brilliant. That code now is unique to that hour. Right. 
Imagine something like that, and you've basically got the concept. So these passwords that it creates are what's called a one-time password. They okay. can also only be used once. Okay. And the the but then the how does the bank know that password? Well, obviously they've got the card reference and they know your PIN number, or at least they they, they get that verified using the device. Yeah. And therefore, the only thing they then have to worry about is the reader has authenticated you as as having those two pieces of information is that the time matches. Uh, to the time you're wow. trying to log on. And, and that's how it, it works. I've got it. And you didn't use the word algorithms once. No, I was very careful to avoid that phrase because I thought you were bound to ask me what an algorithm was and I haven't got my dictionary out. <laughs> well, I've, apparently I've, I've, I've amused Paul Scoyne's our political correspondent by confusing algorithms with logarithms. Oh, oh okay. Hilarious. Well, as long as people aren't trying to use their bank card readers as calculators, I think we'll all be fine. Andrew, listen, I, I, I've pretty much grasped what you said. Thank you for keeping it simple for me. Not at all. Pleasure. And, Andrew Rayner, who's a technology expert from St Albans, and so doesn't he sound like a thoroughly decent chap thank you andrew I, I think i've got it i couldn't sit down and write a test paper on it but I, I i think i've grasped it you see we got there in the end we've solved we've had philosophical debates scientific debates we've solved problems today and I, I i feel we've i feel we've kind of achieved something not a lot in the great scheme of things in mean, the world peace is still some some distance out of our, our reach but i feel we've we've achieved something this morning right <clears throat> enough of this prattle let's get the travel news now with sophie tyler beds hearts and bucks travel bbc three counties radio Still looking busy out there this morning, heading south on the A1 through Sandy. Fairly busy at the moment around the A603 at the Sandy Roundabout. And through Welling Garden City, we still have reports that the A1000 Broadwater Road is blocked in both directions following an accident involving two vehicles just around Bridge Road. Thanks to Jan for calling that one in for us. And southbound on the A1 at the Barnet Bypass, also still slow between Stirling Corner and Mill Hill Circus. While moving on to the motorways, anti-clockwise on the M25, still heavy between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield and very slow again between 19 at Watford and 16 at the M40. The M40 itself is now looking like it is back to normal. No major problems to update you with there and the trains are still running to time on the departure boards as well. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, excellent stuff as always. Thank you very much indeed. Well, there we go. We, we just managed to stagger across the finishing line at the end of the show, I think. Well done, everybody. Tomorrow's Friday, so we will have a little bit of music in the studio. I don't know what. I'm looking forward to finding out. Do stick around, though, because JVS is up next. I'm back tomorrow at six. Until then, ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JBS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's Thursday. And on today's big phone-in, I'm asking, do you understand the hostility towards travellers? Hundreds of people are expected to go to the offices of Central Bedfordshire